Hey, welcome to the 273rd episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comics. Shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash Heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And I'm currently talking about Fantastic Four from like 1984, John Burns. Um, I I almost was going to do something else this week, but I I think it would make sense for me to continue. So I'll probably keep doing that at least for a couple more, a few more issues. Um, Sometimes talk about movies, sometimes do off of mind. I need to do another off of mind topic. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. So this week... The movie feature is the menu. So I debated about what, you know what was I going to see because I was like, okay, the menu. It's it's Foxlight or Searchlight, whatever pictures. It's art, kind of artsy fartsy. I was like, I don't know. You know, Ralph Fiennes. When's the last time I, I, I when did I ever talk about a Ralph Fiennes movie? Uh, but it has Anya Taylor Joy, uh, uh, Nicholas Holt, and I, so I, I was curious to see it. I when the trailer first came out, I watched the I watched the trailer, and then I didn't really get a full sense of what it was about. I was like, wait. And then I kind of forgot what, what it was about. Uh, so I was like, I, I remember I did want to see it, but and I didn't want to read too much into it, like about it or anything. Uh, so I was like, maybe I'll just go see that. Because I debated about seeing that or Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is coming out on Netflix. Is it next month? Is it December? Is it next week? Uh, I'm just not really in a Pinocchio mood. I still haven't seen a Disney Plus Pinocchio, and I, I don't know if I'll will see it anytime soon, if if ever. So it's a menu. Um, I will say right now, I really like the movie. So I, that I'll, more later, much later. Then we have uh, the Peripheral. We have Chucky, Star Girl, Star Wars Andor, and Titans. So it seems like a lot. <laughs> Let's get to. It. It's been a long week. Oh man, I need a break. Um, so let's just go through the the news. Uh, so from last week, Wakanda Forever, you know that was a big opening. It opened with 181 million, I guess, and it outgrossed Black Adam. And the, the kind of interesting thing about it, kind of gr- very gracious, Black Adam put out a tweet like you know congratulating the Wakanda Forever team on their biggest opening or whatever for November and all that. So very gracious of The Rock, or maybe very gracious of his PR people, whoever's running his Twitter channel, if he's even doing Is Twitter even still happening? You know, people are talking about, like, Twitter's. I Like, after I saw the movie Thursday, The Menu, uh, I'm just on Twitter. You know, I just put my, like, oh, I really enjoyed the movie or whatever. I, I, I tweeted about it. And then a lot of people are like, well, this is goodbye. Tw-. I haven't even checked Twitter lately. So hopefully Twitter's still around because <laughs> uh, that's I, th- I think that's where most of my – I have most followers. I don't even know. So anyways, uh, congrats to Wakanda forever for that. Um, other things. Uh, so I, I mentioned Netflix. I don't know why I'm going with this next, but it looks like there's <laughs> this is a big, huge news, maybe new, new, uh, Gamera movie or TV show or something happening at Netflix. It's not really specific. What's, uh, it, I don't know how many people, the average person, didn't know who Gamera is. I mean, I knew Gamera, and I, you know, I'm not trying to insult anyone. If you're like, heck yeah, I know who Gamera is, but it was weird because Godzilla was like such a big thing, 
but Gamera like didn't seem to get qu- quite the same attention. I don't know. So Gamera is a giant turtle, in case you didn't know. Giant flying t- turtle, Godzilla-style kaiju. So I don't know. But uh, it would be interesting to see what what they're going to do with, the, with that. Amy Adams was asked about the Superman stuff. So disenchantment, which I don't know if I'm going to see that anytime soon. So that's a problem. Now that my daughter is like, like older, I don't, I don't see all the, the kid stuff so much anymore because you know she's so busy and everything doesn't have time for her old man and so it's not like we're gonna sit and watch it if, if she was younger i'd be like yeah let's watch it um i still would watch it if she's like <laughs> poor, poor tony right anyways uh, i don't think i'll be watching that anytime soon but she was asked about the henry cavill superman stuff and what you know is she gonna play lois lane again or anything and she's like well i haven't heard anything she didn't even know that Henry Cavill reprised role of Superman because she didn't, hadn't seen Black Adam. So, like, what's that say right there? She doesn't care about DC Universe? It was like her husband, I guess, told her that, like, hey, Henry Cavill's Superman again. And so she's like, yeah. I, I, I Now, she she gave a, a nice statement, and I want to assume it's it's the truth, how she felt, and not like a you know f- formed, whatever, rehearsed statement. But she's like... If they want me to do it, yeah, I'd be excited to do it. But she's also said that if someone else, if they get someone else, then congrats to that person because Lois Lane has been played by many amazing women over the years. So, you know, she would be fine if someone else did it. But that's, again, probably like the gracious answer. She's probably like, heck, yeah, it's it's mine. Give it to me. So I still think she should have darker hair if she's playing Lois. But that's just my opinion. Also, speaking of dark hair, Laura Donnelly just because she has dark hair. She would return for Werewolf by Night, like a sequel, whatever. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a sequel because you know, Elsa Bloodstone is a character in her own right, so she could do her own thing. It doesn't have to be tied to Werewolf by Night, but you know, she said something about like exploring the relationship or whatever, uh, the friendship that they've, they've formed. So we'll, we'll see. Breck Bassinger, I think it's Bassinger, Bassinger, uh, Stargirl, she mentions that they actually filmed two different endings for the star girl season three. And because Jeff Johns, you know, knew that things were on the, the writing was on the wall, you know, they might not get the ending that they want. And I think they wanted to be prepared and they wanted to give like a satisfying ending and everything. But I think they were also hoping, could we possibly get a season four? And she was saying that it's, it's kind of a bummer because you know, the next season would have been epic. You know, Jeff Johns had, you know, like what he had planned was insane and like all this stuff. So they probably, what they did is, now that I think about this more, they probably had like your regular season three cliffhanger for season four. And then they probably also filmed one that's like, okay, this is the end. And then like conclude everything or whatever. So it's, it's, it's too bad, but I guess that's what happened. I mean, I don't know how the ratings were and all that. I never pay attention to that. But with the changing of the ownership and everything, maybe. I mean, it'd be great if the show could be revived somewhere, and I don't even know how that would work in terms of rights because, you know, does CW own, like, season one, two, and three? Does it own the TV characters? Would they, could they not call it Stargirl? Could they call it something else? Stars and Stripe? Stargirl and Stripe? I don't know. So we'll have to see. Okay, Radio Silence. I haven't heard. I I'm, must be so out of the loop. Radio Silence is set to direct uh, 20th Century Studios' Escape from New York reboot. So Radio Silence is three dudes, Matt Bettinelli-Ofpin, 
Tyler Gillette, and Chad Viella. So they've done different things. They did, I, I think they did a segment VHS, which I still haven't seen that. I've always meant, meant to watch it, but for some reason I never did. I think they did Devil's Due. And I think a couple of them, maybe not all three. I don't remember who did Ready or Not. I think they did that also. So with the, I love Escape from New York. I mean, I, I have fond memories. I watched it at a drive-in with my parents. You know, I remember me and my brother sitting on, on top of the car watching. I think it was Escape from New York and Blues Brothers. I forget which one was first. I think that was a double feature. And there's, there's always something about it. You know, Kurt Russell is just amazing. And, and I've, I always want to go back and re- rewatch it, but I'm, I'm afraid that maybe it hasn't aged as well or something like that. But someday I will. As far as a reboot, I'm, I'm fine with it. You know, it, it's, it's, it is something that means a lot to me, just a nostalgia. But that being said, you know, it's, it's not like they're going to do a sequel or anything like that. I, I think, yeah, you got to start over. So let's see something cool. Let's see what could be done with today's age. And that's not going to take away from the original. You know, it's not going to, they're going to pull all copiers and break into your house and take your Blu-rays or VHS tapes or anything like that. It, so I, I'd be down if it could be done really cool. You know, why not? Let, let's see that. Okay. Silk. This, this, I, I'm a little confused about this. So, Angela Kang, who's a showrunner for The Walking Dead the last few seasons, I guess, she's going to be like one of the, the main writers for Silk Spider Society. They're doing a Silk TV show with Cindy Moon from, so Silk, bitten by the same spider that bit Peter Parker, and then there's a whole more loon spider tone was, so she basically hid in a bunker for like 10 years and all that, but she has almost the same powers, a little slightly different, which I don't understand why if it's the same spider, but maybe different dose of venom, I don't know. But they're talking about doing a, a show. At first, when I heard about this, it was going to be like on Prime. I'm like, okay, first of all, I'm like, that's cool. But then second of all, I'm like, how, how are they doing this? I always thought that the, the Sony Spider-Man-ish universe rights were only for movies. Because that's why like Marvel or that's why Disney uh, XD or whatever could do the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon. Because they have TV rights. I think they like had to buy the TV rights. Then Sony kept the movie rights. But... Does that only apply to Spider-Man? And then, like, these Spider-adjacent characters can be shows? Uh, I don't know. But the other thing I read later is it's actually going to air on Epics, which I don't have Epics, and I don't want to pay for another streaming thing. And I don't know if that's the same as MGM Plus or if it's MGM Plus in different regions, different countries, whatever. It's supposed to be on Epics and then later on Prime. So that, that's kind of the bummer because if I'm going to cover this show, obviously I want to cover it when it first comes out. But if it's going to come out in this epics and then a month later, three months later, something something later comes out in Prime, I don't know if it's so worth covering if it's if a portion of whatever people interested have already seen it. And I just, I mean, I, I don't know. Unless you want to kick in more into the, the Patreon uh, I'll subscribe to it, but I subscribe to way too much as it is. Um, Joseph Quinn, you know who that is? So that is Eddie from Stranger Things. He landed, or he's in talks for like a leading role in Quiet Place Day One. Okay, and a lot of people love the guy. They, they love the character, and I thought I thought he was fine. You know what happened? I won't get into spoilers, but you know I, I think that redeem or that that put him elevated him but 
as far as I mean, I haven't seen him in anything else. So I, I mean, he wasn't bad in that. I'm not trying to knock that, but a lot of people are really like going on. They just really love the character, and I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not the biggest Stranger Things fan. I don't know. Deborah Ann Wall, she, had, she commented before like she doesn't know if she's going to be in Daredevil, Born Again, Reborn, whatever. But she, she feels like her her role as Karen Page is unfinished because. Yeah, it this show was canceled, kinda, sorta ended after the second season. I guess they didn't know that right away. You know, they they kind of thought that there was gonna be a third season. So she feels like that there's I don't know, like unfinished. I mean, I don't even remember where she left off, like what she was up to. But I I, I thought she was a great Karen Page. I would love for her to come back, I, and I think she's a great actress from from what I've seen. I haven't seen True Blood. But she was good in the um, escape room. I, I, I liked her, you know, different character there. So uh, I I hope they bring her back because I mean, but then maybe there's just not going to be any Karen Page in the, the upcoming series. We'll have to see. Hopefully, if they if they 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 better call her soon. Uh, Margot Robbie. So she was talking about the Pirates of the Caribbean, the her version of the female ish led version. It's not happening. It's dead. She's like, yeah, they're not interested in doing it or something like that. I guess they changed their mind. And there might have been some other, I don't know if there's like other problems or something. And they're just like, yeah, let's just not do that. I don't know. And it's, it's too bad because I, I like Margot Robbie and it would have been cool to see. I haven't seen the last Pirates of the Caribbean. I maybe haven't seen the last couple. I don't remember. So I, I would have been interesting to see like it's set in a new direction. But I guess that won't happen unless they change their mind again and then call her up and try to negotiate all over. And then uh, the last bit of news, I believe. So why is Armor Wars, why is that going to be a movie now instead of a series? You know, because when I first heard this, I was like, man, because if it's a, a series, it can be you can delve into the story, you know, do a lot more. And if you're going to do Armor Wars, I mean, this is something that should be more than a, a two-and-a-half-hour movie because I feel like, you know, there's so much to cover. I guess the main reason was money because uh, they're they're basically saying that if it's a movie, they can get more money versus if it's a Disney Plus, the budget isn't quite the same. And, you know, if they're going to be doing, like, different Iron Man armors and Tony Stark legacy and stuff like that, that they want to they wanna be able to do it right, which makes sense. So I just wonder, are they going to condense the story to move? Are they going to try to do like Armor Wars 1, Armor Wars 2? But then how long is it going to be between movies? That That's my concern, my, my, my big fear. So we'll have to stay tuned. There's no release date. You know, they, I think they're, you know, retooling things and trying to figure it out. So we'll just have to stay tuned. And you will have to stay tuned because that is the end of the news. But obviously it is not the end of the show. Okay, because we, we have comics, and at Image, there was a Bone Orchard, Black Feathers, number three of five. So 10,000 Black Feathers. This is Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino. I know I didn't read the second one. I'm pretty sure I read the first one. I'm wondering now if each story is kind of, it's like it's a separate story. But so that that was our, um, that's the main reason I didn't read this one, because I was like, oh, I didn't read the second one, but 
maybe I didn't have to read it. Either way, I'm sure it's going to be amazing. You know, Jeff Lemire is an amazing writer, and Andrea Sorrentino, I just love his art. It's so so trippy and just so it's I can't even describe it. It's just such so atmospheric. I mean, it's it's just always blows me away. So I, I, I need to read both of those. There is Deadliest Bouquet, number four of five. So this, I'm, I'm intrigued with, with the series. I, I really am not sure what is going on or where it's going. The, the story is you have these three daughters and their mother was like, I think she was a Nazi hunter or, or maybe she wasn't a Nazi hunter, but I don't know she fought some Nazis. She had a, like a Nazi gun from, from someone that you know she apprehended. But the, the, the daughters were trained to do different things, you know, fighting and surviving and everything. And her mother ran a flower shop but then she's killed, and it's not really clear why. One of the daughters is still kind of living, I don't know if she was living with her nearby, and then the other two come, you know, one has like a family, and, and you know, the, the, the police are trying to figure out what's going on, you know, who, who murdered this, and, you know, what's, and who's, he's, I think the, the police are a little suspicious of the daughters, and obviously because there's more to this family that, and that's going on, we don't really get a whole lot more answers here, but it's just, it's a, it's, I'm, I'm enjoying this. I'm really curious to see how it's all going to wrap up in, in the, the last issue. So you should just check that out. Uh, Deadly Class Trade Paperback, Volume 12, came out. This is the end, which I, I'm sad about that. So if you haven't read, if you've been reading the trades, you can find out how it all ended. Very, very sad. But but happy? I don't know. I hate Fairyland is back. So I hate Fairyland. We have Gertrude. The uh, she's this little girl. She ends up going into Fairyland, you know, the fairy universe world. She gets stuck there, and I I believe I could be wrong. I should open up the issue, but I think she was there for like forty two years. The thing is. Her, her body didn't age. So mentally, you know, she started off as a, like a six-year-old girl, but then she, her mind aged with as time passed by, but she was still in this little girl's body. And obviously she became very bitter because she was stuck there and everything. And, and by becoming bitter, she became very violent and everything. So it was just such a great, you know, this is uh, Scotty Young that, the, the writing and art he's just doing it right here brett bean does the the art here which but it's really good i, I at first i was like oh man scotty young's not, not drawing it but I, I really like the art here so eventually spoiler gert gets out of fairyland she makes it back home so now here we have gert has aged she's grown up and her life isn't the the, the best thing because of just her her, her experience and everything and somehow she's going to get pulled back in, right? I mean, it would make sense, you know, if just looking at the covers. So I, I'm just, I, I'm so excited to, to see how this plays out. Junkyard Joe, number two, came out. So in the first issue, we saw, like, in the Vietnam War, we saw this uh, GI robot and, you know, this platoon he was with and what happened and everything. So now this cuts to like the present. And um, I really don't want to say much more. Uh, so one of the, the, the survivors, Muddy Davis, so says he, uh, he just retired from drawing his 50-year-old Junkyard Joe newspaper strip, The Tragedies of Vietnam. Um, 
Yeah, so I don't want to spoil anything, but it's it's Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, and you should read it. That's all I'll say. There's also Prodigy Icker Society, issue five of five. And what I realized, I'm pretty sure I didn't read issue four because I think I, I mentioned that last time, so I didn't read this one. So I was like, <sighs> so this is going to be like, the, the, I oh, man, I, I didn't think I was going to be able to read as much as I did this week. I was like stressing out big time. <laughs> but uh, something else I didn't read is Something is Killing the Children 26. I'm like tragically behind on this. And I don't. It might be in like a different story arc now. I seriously need to need to get caught up on that because I, I really, really, really like that series. At DC, we had World's Finest, Batman, Superman, World's Finest. This is issue nine. I man, I really, I'm really enjoying this this series. So you know, Mark Way's writing it, and you know, Dan Moore is doing the art. Enjoy it while it lasts. I feel he's going to be a, an artist where. He's gonna. They're gonna move him to covers, and you know, because I'm sure you get paid more. You can do more covers versus interiors. It, it just it, it happens when you know you get artists. They become they get certain pop popularity. Then they don't do interiors as often as as they used to. But uh, his his art is just so clean, and it, it reminds me of like like Victor Bogdanovich. It's like where where is he? What's he doing? Maybe I'm just reading the wrong books, but. Uh, it's just really good. So we have this new character, it's Kid Thunder, and I'm not super crazy about the character, but I'm really intrigued with the story and just with the training of this new kid. And he's got all these powers, and so it's it's just it's really interesting how they're they're approaching it and how things are are being handled. And I like that it's its own in its own like kind of continuity. So there's just it's just really good. So I, I highly recommend it. You know, I'm sure there must be a trade for the first arc. It's you should definitely read it. Black Adam issue six. I was kind of reading this, and this is a series where I'm I'm just kind of like usually skimming through it. But what was weird here because we had the story with that other dude that like Black Adam kind of bestowed his power upon him. There's like the the guy was like going to be a surgeon, uh, but. Here it's more with like Batman not being happy with Black Adam being like in the the Justice side. He thinks it or Justice League. He thinks it, it's a mistake and everything. And he's like trying to like egg him on, trying to fight him. He's wearing like this you know big bat armor. So we get a lot of like, Batman versus Black Adam uh, fighting. Which which if you're in if you're wanting to see that, there's some some pretty intense stuff. So you might want to check that out. I'm just not super crazy about Black Adam, so it's I'm not really getting into the series because it's just not a character I don't like. Doesn't mean it's not good. It's just it's not for me. Catwoman 49. So uh, the cover is it's okay. Catwoman versus Punchline's on a cover. Uh, not yet. <laughs> so Punchline is moving in on Alleytown. It does you know this corner of Gotham that Catwoman is kind of staked as her own, but. I don't, unless I totally miss it, she's not really even in this this issue. So you know, Catwoman returns home, which is I thought she was like in some other country, like in Italy or France or something, and then suddenly she's here, and so we get more in her just trying to fight the fight with you know what she's doing, and but yes, yeah, so I guess it's setting up for a Catwoman versus Punchline. So. I don't know how that's going to go because punchline is crazy, like hand-to-hand combat. Even though I don't understand how, when she was just like 
a college student who was fascinated with the Joker, and then now she's whatever. Don't understand. Dark Crisis, Young Justice, issue six. So this is... um, I don't like this whole Dark Crisis stuff. I'm not a fan of the, the story arc. The only nice thing about this is seeing Young Justice together, these, these characters. So the, the story's been so-so, um, but it, you just have such a great group of characters to deal with, and I would love for this to continue more. Um, but the only thing is Tim Drake here seems a little different than Tim Drake we're getting elsewhere. So and his hair is definitely different. <laughs> Deceased War of the Gods. Uh, this uh, interesting um, appearance at the end. So there, there's a lot of tension. You know, with there's a there's a, a cure for the basic the zombies in the DC universe, and you know there there's a way they they can get that tavern. But there's so many people are infected, and uh, the Guardians are like there's like I think of a planet or there's something that was infected because uh, new gods are unleashing stuff. So there's like, hey, did this sector or whatever is infected? We just need to wipe it out so it doesn't spread. And the heroes are like, uh, no, we can cure people. And and so there's there's a fight going on there. Uh, but but then it turns out someone is kind of pushing the fight a little bit, and then someone um, pops up at the end. I don't know how I feel about this this character. It's not a character. I'm, it's a character I like, but I don't like sometimes because of how he's written so a character wears a a derby hat if that's not like the biggest spoiler or whatever so we'll see where that's gonna go i'm not i i really i really like deceased the when it first started off and then continuing was it was good but i i'm not loving it as much as i did before but it's it's still interesting gcpd to blue wall number two so this is focusing on some like uh, the, the police department and some like rookies who became detectives or, or police officers and just it's it's there's a warning about like racism because this one dude he's Puerto Rican and you know he's his coworkers and you know, other guys they're they're making jokes but they're straight up being racist so it's just you know that that could be a little hard to, for some to read and it's it's i don't it's not something i want to read about but that's the reality so you, you have that stuff and and there's uh the other stuff with it's one detective who became kind of like a hero because she didn't fire her gun on a on a suspect but what really happened is she kind of froze so that's why she didn't shoot and then another situation came up and the same thing, she didn't shoot, but then this pr- person got away, ended up k- killing someone else. So now everyone's questioning that. And so it's just, it's interesting that we're getting like this other side that it's there's just a focus on the actual police and not just superheroes. So that's interesting. Nightwing 98, he, he's got a, a fan now. What's his name? Nightmite. So basically, uh, an imp from the fifth dimension has has popped up, or Night Knight is that his name? Night Knight. He's a uh, he's an, yeah, around messing with with a uh, Nightwing. And there's also the stuff if you remember how last issue ended up with the, the cliffhanger where someone pulls up in a taxi and it's like what the heck. So that gets addressed here. Flash seven eighty eight. Uh, so Linda is pregnant. 
which is something that we, it was kind of they were strongly hinting at it. Uh, then and then just like suddenly on the first page, that what's his name Wolf the the guy who was running Blackgate the prison or whatever, who's always kind of a little sketchy. He became mayor because he was running, but then now like I don't I guess he he won the election. We just didn't see it, or maybe I didn't see it. So what does he decide to do? He's gonna have, he gives badges to the rogues, and he's like, "You guys are now deputies. Where you can get out of prison if you do this." So one, this is like a stupid idea. <laughs> you know, like who's gonna go for this? You got these criminals who I'm sure they've killed people. You're just gonna give them a badge and let them go out there, and then you're not even gonna tell anyone about it. Because like part of the problem is, flashes out there. There's like a bank robbery going out. And he sees Captain Gold, Cold, like, and he assumes Captain Cold is like got these. He lets the dudes get away, and then they're they're trying to say he's obstructing justice or whatever, so he's under arrest. But it, it's just so stupid. And what makes it worse is isn't this like what Marvel just did with Kingpin, where Kingpin was the mayor, and then he gets a bunch of villains to be his his deputies, or whatever. Who's going to, like, okay, who's going to be, like, totally fine? It's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I'm, I don't care if you get these bank robbers and murderers, whatever, is, is supposed to be protecting us. And as they're going after the Flash, because obviously they have, you know, their, their petty agenda or whatever, they're, like, trashing the place trying to, to stop him. So stupid. Uh, then we had Stargirl, the Lost Children. So this was really good. So this is Jeff Johns, Todd Nock doing the art, which is amazing. And I don't know if it's because I, I'm enjoying the Stargirl show. So it was just really nice to see Stargirl here. And, you know, it's it's not necessarily the same continuity. You know, it's a different whatever. But I just, I really enjoyed this, this series. And I've never, like, fully been into them. You know, I was never, like, like the biggest justice society fan so i didn't really know i didn't like even see her when she first debuted i don't remember what, like what what series that was or, or anything but just what jeff johns is setting up with the justice society and with the the lost children and i don't know how many of these children are new characters or if there's because with the whatever i don't remember what we read or what i talked about last week about the justice society and their golden age, I think that's what it was. So, you know, we had a lot of those uh, who's who's files at the end. And I don't know if if Jeff Johns just brilliantly recreated all these histories or if there is actual history there. Because, you know, Jeff Johns does that. You know, he, he, dig, dis, he digs deep sometimes and pulls out stuff and, and, and you know, adds to it. So I'm, I'm just, I'm really loving what he's setting up here. And I'm, I can't wait to see what, what's going on here. Um, it's it's just ridiculous. On Twitter, one time I saw he was trending, and then you have all these people that are just complaining about stuff. It's like really, you know, a lot of people are complaining about what he's done with like the, the Watchmen stuff and Doomsday Clock and and all that. I just I don't know. I I feel like people are, are are you even reading the same comics I'm reading? So a lot of people are just I don't know. I mean, I will keep saying it based on my history, based on what I know. Jeff Johns is like the nicest guy. And he's always been super great. I, I'm so grateful for like the access that he's given me for stuff. And just uh, 
like the conversations we have, like, like you know, off the record, you know, like it's, it's just I've always enjoyed talking to him, and I miss talking to him. You miss seeing him at at, at shows and that. So I, it just it just really bums me out, and all these people are saying all this stuff, and because I I just it can't I don't see it as even remotely being possible based on what I know. That's all I can say. Uh, DC versus vampires, all out war. I'm not a big fan of these. I don't know how I feel. You know, so we have like the main series and we have like this like black and white and red series. Part of me feels like, is this just a way to cut out the colorist? But then, you know, with the blood and, you know, you, there's, it's not just red. It, it, it's like different shades of red. So it's not like just slap some red here, slap some red here. And, you know, there's, there is, you know, effects and textures and, and all that stuff. But I don't know how I feel about it. And maybe it's just because I like Otto Schmidt's art so much that it's just not quite the same. But we have some stuff with Mary Marvel here. And I'm not super crazy about what's going on with, with her. So we'll have to see. So that was issue five of six. And then, um, let's see, uh, there's Dark Crisis, World Without a Justice League, Batman. What the heck? Why is this book coming out? I thought the Justice League is back already or on their way back. And... These books, they they almost make me angry. It's just here's a, a like let's let's set up this fake world for these heroes to kind of fool them, and then it's it's basically just an else world. So what if? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Batman one bad day, Mister Freeze. I when I saw it, I was like another one. I haven't really been like super duper loving these, so I was like I don't know if I want to read this because you know they they tend to be like. 60 plus pages but then i saw jerry duggan was writing this so i was like oh crap i gotta read this because i i love jerry duggan and mateo scalera doing the art dave stewart doing the colors so that right there you got to read it. it it was interesting to see mr freeze and you know we we see like early like we see him like before he's mr freeze with nora nora's still alive and, and then we see when he is mr freeze and with robin and uh, it was it was a I, I really enjoyed the story. You should check that out. Some some of them have been good. Some of them I haven't been super crazy about. Then at Marvel we had Blade Vampire Nation issue one, and I I didn't love this. I don't really care about this vampire stuff with with the Avengers and you know how they have like their own nation and Blade is like the sheriff. So it's just. I don't know. And I'm still confused. So it was announced recently that the Blade's daughter is getting like a series. But it's not the same Blade's daughter that was announced at New York Comic Con in like 2016 or something like that. I think it was like the last time I went. And so now there's... A, so probably whatever happened, that fell apart. And I think it was... um, Who was it that was involved with it? I think it was Tim Seeley. So, you know, because they, they showed promo images or concept and we had, I forgot her name, but then maybe they're like, okay, we're starting over and we're, we're not having Tim, Tim Seeley either not available or whatever. We don't want to pay him, so let's make a new character, which is kind of crappy, but I don't know. So I, I, I read through that and I just I couldn't really get into it. Then we have Captain America and Winter Soldier special. So this is continuing from, I think it was last week's Captain America, 
which is like crazy stuff that's happening with between Captain America and Bucky and this this organization uh, stuff with his shield and so here we, we're seeing more about uh, the like this organization and just like what they're doing and I don't really know what this means for Bucky it's it's a little concerning what he's getting involved with um, especially like what he did to to Steve in that last issue so. I can't tell if he's on the right track for what he's doing or if it's just the beginning of things getting bad for him. So we'll have to see. Uh, Gold Goblin issue one. This was was this was was fine. This was good. It you know Norman Osborn. So in case you haven't been reading lately, he has been freed from his sins. There was a new sin eater, or whatever, took his sins away, and he's he's a good guy. You know he's he's. He's redeemed, essentially, the easy way. So he's been actually helping Peter, helping Spider-Man with giving him, like, new tech and costume and stuff like that. And he was developing this other suit. He wasn't planning on using it or anything. But then to save Spider-Man, he had to put on the suit. He goes out there. And then the media starts calling him the Gold Goblin. But he's like, no, I'm not a goblin. But once they, they named him that, you know, he's, it's kind of, he's stuck with it. So we, we see more of that. Um, Immortal X-Men issue eight. I haven't really been reading this. I did flip through this, and I, I feel like I could be intrigued by this, but, you know, because it's um, 1895, and you have Mystique and Destiny and Mr. Sinister. So there, there's some interesting things that I saw, because, like, like I said, I didn't read it, but I, I feel like I need to go back and get caught up. Iron Man issue 25. So this was like a anniversary issue. Uh, it's the it's 650th issue. So you have a, a few story or a couple stories. First one, it it seemed like it was trying to be like one of those emotional, touching anniversary type stories. Uh, basically, because everyone thought Iron Man was dead because he was going undercover and now he's back, they decided they want to do an Iron Man day. In New York, and you know, he's doesn't really want to do that, but he he can't say no, but he doesn't want to say yeah. And but then things happen, and I, I shouldn't spoil what it is. So it is supposed to be like, oh man, you know, you're supposed to feel for for Tony and everything, but it just it felt like too forced. I didn't really feel forced, but I just I, I'm just too skeptical. So I, th- I think that's that's a problem. Or maybe maybe it was a really touching story and, and well written and all that. But I'm just too skeptical. Then there is this other story. I really like the the art style. It made it look like kind of like 60s style comic. I didn't read it because I was running short on time. And then there's like a like a one page preview because Jerry Duggan is going to be writing. So that that's really excited. So we got some like. An idea, like some of the, the crazy shenanigans that are going to be coming up. Okay, then there was Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings, issue five. I'm kind of behind on this, and I feel bad that I'm not reading. I want to like this series, but I just don't have it, like a strong connection to Shang-Chi. And, you know, then you, the, the, my big problem is all these other characters that I don't know who they are and I don't care about them. So, you know, they're all pulled into... I'm assuming they're still doing this, like, competition thing to trying to, to get the, the rings. But then I also don't understand how these rings tie into the rings that we've seen in Iron Man. And I really don't like the fact that Riri Williams 
was like trying to gain control of the rings and she's kind of like arguing with tony over because she thinks she can use them for good and it's just it's that seems kind of weird she hulk issue eight uh at first i'm like wait she hulks like not even really in this this issue yeah i i would the thing i really loved is takeshi miyazawa does the art i i just i love that uh rico renzi does the, the color so this the story, um, Rainbow Rowell wrote it. We we saw these two new characters, and I wasn't super crazy. But I'm like, what the heck is going on? So you got this big muscle-bound dude, this almost like a Hulk dude, and then you got this, it was almost like a little girl, but this woman with like a big, like oversized head. It's like, what is going on? This issue tells us their story, which is actually kind of kind of, it, they're 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 dumb. They're smart people, but they're dumb with what they're trying to do. And we see basically what caused their condition, and why are, are they so angry at at She Hulk? So, okay, uh, I that that made me a little more more interested. Because last issue, I'm like, what? They're kidnapping She Hulk. I was like, that's so, who are these people? So that that was interesting. But yeah, there wasn't a lot of really She Hulk in this one. But you get the the whole story. Star Wars, Han Solo, and Chewbacca issue 7 came out. I, I was just kind of skimming through this, again, because of time. Um, Thunderbolts issue 4. I, I You got put Hawkeye in a book. I'm, of course, I'm going to read it. So this is interesting because this is the more, you know, it's, there, it's a political team. or You know, it's they, they have to do certain things. You know, they have to have meetings, they have to have press conferences and, you know, try to make commercials and all this stuff like that. So, you know, you got this whole public persona aspect, which it seems like to put Hawkeye in that team, it doesn't seem like the best idea, but it's, it's, I like the balance of how they're doing things and, and how things happen, you know, like what they want to do and what ends up happening. So I, I'm enjoying that. I'm not super crazy about some of the other characters on a team, but they're winning me over um and then uh, i guess that's it yeah because uh i i'm not reading wakanda uh i'm not reading namor but I, I guess that's it so short comic talk this week did i skip something that's comics for the week all right with the peripheral season one episode five what about bob it's like holy holy cow man this this episode so it starts out london one year before alita west's disappearance which is kind of interesting so we we this is like basically before the first episode so a year before that we grace we, we've seen grace before uh she was the one that got killed by the the, the bees the wasps or whatever grace goes to works and almost runs into alita and Grace is like, what are you doing? Alita's like, just saying hello. Grace is like, she said that she tried to greet her on her first day there, and Alita cut her dead. Plus a letter on her desk the next day said that something like, if you ever flip and speak to me again, I'll scratch you your eyes out, you selfish, conniving bitch. And Alita corrects her. She's like, I believe it was the C word because of the alliteration. So, so backstabbing or whatever. Or no, conniving C word, she, she, she thought. But Grace is, she's like, oh, well, no, I'm pretty sure you didn't. So it's a missed opportunity. Then Alita says, like, like this one, if you continue to walk away. She, she asks if Grace wants to get a drink. And Grace whispers, she's like, I'm married. And then Alita's like, oh, what's she like? And Grace is like, he. And I have two children. And Alita kind of laughs. She's like, oh, were the kids a, a stipulation? And Grace just walks away, like insulted. So 
what we learned from here because we knew that that Grace and Alita were roommates and they kind of knew each other or something like that. But it turns out, nope, they were a lot more than just roommates. Grace walks away and outside Alita yells at her. She's like, you broke my flipping heart or something like that. Grace agrees to one drink. So she's like, just get right to it. So they're at a bar. They talk about how things ended and Grace is like, yeah, we just fell apart. And she's like, was that what you call it? And Grace is like, well, I went to a therapist who said that Alita was a bad, good girl, and Grace was a good, bad girl. She tells Alita that she tries to act bad, but deep down, she's almost frighteningly good. And Grace asks Alita if she still mucks around with those dollhouses, and she's like, not for years. And so it's like, well, what about that diorama of Flynn's house? Did it have something to do with it? But so Grace's therapist suggested that it was about order and control. Alita had neither growing up, and this was her way to compensate. And Alita says something like, oh, that's hogwash or whatever. And then she starts moving. She like closes kind of, or she like moves Grace's legs and her arms or whatever and like turns her. And she says that when she took a doll and positioned it as, as she liked, it made her feel as if she had access to another being's inner life. And, you know, she's like, that can feel rather priceless. So they, they kind of stare at each other and Grace is like, are you going to kiss me? And Alita's like, is that what you want? Grace says, she's like, I have missed you. And Alita says that she should have treated her better. And so Grace is like, what, you want an apology? Is that it? And she's like, no. She's like, water under bridge, whatever. But she asked her, she's like, tell me about your job. So now they're in the hall where Flynn was was shot when she was in the Burton body in the first episode when you know they're by the door scanner thing. So they go walk up to the door scanner. Grace, you know, it scans her eyes inside there's that I didn't really describe it, but there's like this green, like almost like water dripping and like parts, whatever. So Grace says that they call it the God font so that she can access anything here. And this is now this is interesting what we get out of here because she says not just from the stub either, but from RI in its entirety. So from the research Institute. So they're, actively altering conditions in the stub they have over eight thousand studies running so she said like botany meteorology zoology genetics oceanography robotics forestry but the, the truly like hush hush whatever save the world poop that comes that comes from her their behavioral mod department so they set up a shell company in the stub and there's a like a contract with american military to install haptic implants and personnel so it's their tech, more or less, but on an appropriately primitive level. Is that the stuff that Burton has, Burton and his buddies? So then Grace shows how they can like kind of like nudge to make people do what they want. And like, you know, they, there's, they had this thing where it's like if they saw an injured animal, they're supposed to attack it or whatever, and there's this like dog. And then so it's like she shows an example of how it works with this military unit. And the leader's like, make them stop or whatever. And the leader's like, this is like old footage or whatever. And so Alita just seems to be really bothered by this, which is kind of weird. So then they're walking out that hall again, like towards like the elevator. Then Mariel, who we've seen her, right, from the, the first episode, she was at the club, I think, that Flynn, Flynn had to go up to. Mariel passes by the other directions, and then before they can access the elevator, Mariel says, wait. She's like, you're from Grains and Legumes. And Alita's like, that's right. So Mariel wants her to explain her presence here and you know where she assuredly has no flipping right to be and you know because she lacks clearance for this floor alita kind of like stammers and grace interrupts she's like do you know who i am and mariel's like of course dr hogart grace says then perhaps you can explain why you're addressing an old and rather dear friend of mine in such an unacceptably rude manner mariel says i'm just doing my job ma'am 
And she's like, her presence on this floor would seem to require. And so Grace says, we met upstairs and I forgot my jacket. So I brought her down with me under my supervision as my guest. And then she's like, you may file a report on the matter if you wish, but please take care to sign your name so I'll know who to address my grievance against. Muriel's like, oh, I don't think that'll be necessary, but I will ask that you not do this again. As Muriel walks away, and then Alita calls out to her. She's like, excuse me, I just want to say, you have the most extraordinary eyes. And she's just kind of like looking at her. She's like, seriously, I'd kill for eyes like that, which they do take her eye out. <laughs> so then it goes to Key West 2032. There's this dude, he has this box and it says Pete Kosinski on it. So like this package. He it, and he opens it up. It looks like one of those like future stun gun things that like uh, Flynn got shot with. Like the <laughs> sends out the big shock wave. He takes it out and he's like he doesn't even know what this says. Turns it on, <laughs> sends out like a, a like a blast against this like cabinet, and he's like surprised by this. There's I think there's like a phone in there too, so it rings. It's Daniel or the robot Daniel from the future. He's like Robert O'Connell. Pleasure to make your acquaintance. And then he, he like hangs up, he goes in the other room and he starts like kind of like packing, like putting some stuff together. He has, there's like a, you know, bag of money and, you know, Ziploc bag or whatever. Then the phone goes off again. I wasn't sure if it was his phone or the same phone. Daniel says, $10 million, Bob, 25% has already been deposited into your account. That's how much I believe in you. And then he's like, name's not Bob, pal. It's Pete. It's Pete Kaczynski. He says he has no idea what Daniel is talking about. And then we see future Roe Daniel. He's like, I'm thinking about Bob, the butcher O'Connell. Pete says, he's like, I don't know who that is. And Daniel's like Dublin lad make, made his name killing three UDA fighters on the eve of his 18th birthday, racked up quite an impressive body count before fleeing the country. He's like, do you ever hunt them up in the night? You know, all those poor souls you cut from their fleshy prisons. And Pete's like, who the fudge is this? He's like, your new employer. So he says, I, I tried to hammer and it didn't work. So I'm looking for a better tool, a scalpel. So Pete's like, you have the wrong number. Then he says something like, like you'll, you know, maybe hopefully I won't have the wrong number. This other guy, I think it said Tommy or was it something else? He's like, I was going to call him next and maybe tell him about your daughter, you know, in her bungalow in Baton Rouge. Then he's like, do I have your attention now, Bob? There's a pause. And then this guy, his American accent switches to Irish. Who do you want dead? And that was a horrible Irish accent. So then we see Flynn. She's like about to get like a CAT scan or something like that. And, you know, she's thinking about the sights she saw in the future, you know, at the cemetery and all that. Then there's a, a bowling alley. Oh, then there's this guy, Frank. So maybe it was Frank, not Tommy. Maybe I'm thinking about Tommy, the sheriff. So Frank DeRosa, according to the closed captions, he's, he's bowling with like some his kids, as it turns out, and like their wives or whatever. He sees Bob at the bar. So he's like, oh, you know, excuse me. So he goes up to him and then he, he starts talking, whatever. He's, he's like, yeah, I'm with my boys. And Bob's like, yeah, they're all grown up. Bob's like, my daughter's grown too. He's like, you know, I might've let it slide for old time's sake if you'd left her out of it. And Frank's like, says that the guy laid it out, you know, voice on the phone. It was Bob or him. So then you can see that like the boys tell their wives to go freshen up, whatever. They, I don't know if they, they seem to recognize Bob because, you know, Frank tells them, he's like, oh, why don't you give us a minute? And he, when one of the sons is like, no, I think we'll walk Mr. O'Connell to his car. And he puts his hand on his shoulder, which, you know, that's got to be a mistake. And then he's like, what do you say, Bob? And then Bob looks over at Frank and says, he's like, I loved you like a brother, Frank. 
He gets up, smacks the kid in the face, shoots Frank, shoots another son, shoots the one who grabbed him, and then shoots the third one, like all within like a couple seconds. Like, and there's like, then there's there's an explosion of glass like behind from the bottles behind him. It's from the bartender, shoots her too. Then he just like calmly like walks out to his car, calls Daniel, says that he knows the what, the why doesn't matter. The how is what he's paying him for. So he needs uh, he needs a where and when to get it done. Daniel's like, your targets will be here tomorrow morning for a medical procedure that should take no longer than an hour. It's like, and he's like, well, what's the procedure? And Daniel's like, a spinal tap. Then they'll return to their residence. And it shows up like in his car map, you know, it shows like where he's, where the clinic is and where the, the little residence is. Uh, Bob reaches into his glove box for more bullets. And then one of the sons comes out. He's still alive. He shoots the window. So Bob calmly, he's like annoyed. He gets out, he lays on the ground and then he shoots the, the, the son's leg with like the future guns, like knocks him down. He shoots again under the car and it, like, he just rolls away. He's like now all in pain, everything like that. Bob's like, Oh, you should have stayed inside and pretended to be dead. He's like, if I can get my car started after you shot it, he's like, I'll be on my way. If you can crawl out, if you can crawl away before then, I'll consider us even for your father's sake. He's like, how does that sound? And the son kind of gurgles. He's like, I can't move my legs. And then Bob's like, oh, your arm doesn't look good either. It's like clearly busted. So this is just from like the shockwave of that gun. He gets in his car, tries to start it, finally starts up, starts driving. And the son's like, ah, <laughs> runs him over. Then in the... Uh, Billy Ann, I get, we're still in the present, I guess, whatever, 2032. Billy Ann is woken up by her phone buzzing. She, I think she gets like a printing job or something like that because she accepts the job. Gets up, gets dressed, picks up some plates, some clothes. The Jasper's jacket's like on a couch or something like that. She takes it, but then she feels the money in there. So she goes in the bedroom. She roughly wakes up. She's like, what did you do, Jasper? He's like, what? And she's like, did I or did I not explicitly tell you not to take any of that money? He's like, I didn't. And she shows him the money. She like, kind of flings it at him. And he's like, whoa. He's like, my uncle gave that to me. And she's like, for what? Did you ask what he wanted in exchange? And Jesper gets all no. He's like, of course. He's like, I'm not a flipping idiot. But yeah, he is. So he's like, he doesn't want nothing for it. He's like, it was a gesture of gratitude, you know, from my years of, of hard work. And she's like, nothing's for free. And he's like, well, I'll give it back if you want. So she just kind of like considers it. And she's like, no. She's like, I guess we can use it. At the urgent med place, Burton asks Dee Dee, she's like, are you 100% sure about the results? And she's like, absolutely, it's bacterial. She's like, the oddest thing I've, I've ever encountered, a little bit like meningitis, just extremely localized in her occipital lobe, which is the part of the brain involved in seeing. She's like, a lumbar puncture will give some kind of idea, will give an idea what kind of bacteria she has in there. So Dee Dee gets this long needle out, you know, Flynn's laying on her side. She's like, there may be some pressure. She's like, it won't hurt, but feel free to hold your brother's hand. She's like, I won't judge. At this point, I'm like, uh-oh. It's like, is she going to, like, crush Burton's hand with her, like, you know, crazy whatever? Puts a needle in, and then, like, the tip comes out. She collects some fluid out and takes out. She's like, that's it. So it was, like, pretty quick. She didn't squeeze his hand. <laughs> Bob is driving. Then he, like, stops on his bridge and, like, kind of pulls over. He gets out of his car. He calls some some lady named Rose Andrews. He's like, I'm Derek Thompson of the Appleview Insurance Company. And he's like, sorry to bother you, but I'm afraid we've had to cancel your policy. She's like, uh, is this change, when is this change effective? And he's like, immediately. So you need to make other arrangements right away and with great care. She's like, oh, me and my husband hope to continue with Appleview. And he's like, well, I'm afraid that's not possible. There's a chance Appleview will be closing its doors for good. 
And then she's like, Jesus, dad. So this is her daughter. So they're clearly talking in some sort of code. So then he's like, I just want to say that uh, we have valued our relationship with you. He says, he's like, I wish that you and your husband health and happiness in all thing. She's like, I'm pregnant. He kind of gets a little flustered and he continues like, oh, that's wonderful news, ma'am. He's like, goodbye and good luck. So he goes to the front of his car, pops the hood, and he, he puts a future gun like by the motor, like just sitting there. Billy Ann is driving to her job and she sees Bob at the side of the bridge. So she like stops and she's like, oh, are you all right? And he's like, oh, just a bit of car trouble. He's like, I'll be fine. She's like, oh, I can take a look if you want. He's like, oh, that's, that's kind of you, but I already called it in. And then she's like, who'd you call? She's like, they're probably gonna you know, charge you, you know, hold you for ransom, whatever. So she starts uh, getting out to save him from that mess or whatever. He manages to say that you know, he'll take his chances with a mechanic. And then she's, she's a little insulted by this. She thinks that he's being sexist, whatever. So she drives off, but then she stops, backs up. And she's like, is it Charlie? She's like, I, I'd, I'd love to one-up him. It's just a long story, whatever. And then she like sees his passenger windows missing. She's like, oh, what happened here? He's like, oh, there's an overturned gravel truck that sh- shot out gravel like buckshot. She's like, oh, this is, just isn't your day. Then Burton pulls up, and then she's like, are you going to let Burton Fisher look at your engine before me? But, you know, he doesn't, you know, Burton, like, pull, stops in the middle, like, at a, at a bridge. Billy Ann says, he's like, oh, I think this guy might, you know, think a woman can't fix a car. Bob, he's like, he apologized for the, the fuss and everything like that. But he he grabs a future gun he has in his hand. Flynn's in the passenger seat. She sees it, and then she immediately remembers when she got shot in that, that hallway. And she whispers Burton, she's like, shoot him. And he's just, like, looking at her. She's like, shoot him now. Bob raises the gun. Vroom. The, like passenger windows like obliterated and like some of the other window gets like knocked out there's a high pitch ringing whatever he reaches in he holds a gun up to flynn's chest but burton f- throws a car into gear and like guns it the gun gets knocked knocked out of his hand like on, on, a, on, a, on a bridge like rolls under the car or something like that burton has to swerve to avoid i thought he was gonna like run over billy and he swerves over, but then he ends up hitting like the other, the, the bridge is like one of those kind of low bridges, like cement railings, whatever. So like hits that and it's like, you know, scraping up against it. The airbags go off and then Bob grabs his regular gun. He starts walking towards him and he's like shooting. Flynn is like, she can't open her door because she's pinned up, it's pinned up against the, the railing and her seatbelt sucks. She can't get it undone. Burton leans out, like shoots a couple times, and but he he hits Bob. So he clearly has a vest because he gets like shot twice, like in the, in the chest, and it doesn't really stop him. So that, you know, Burton's like shooting, and she's shooting back. Flynn puts a car in reverse. She she reaches with the pedal with her hand, and you know Bob has to jump out of the way. Burton runs to the truck. He uses a knife. He takes a knife, like to try cutting her seatbelt. As he's cutting it, Bob stands and he points a gun at them, and she's like she's like Burton, Burton, and then click click. Billy Ann's, she's like, I'm pretty good with shotgun too. She's like, you want to see? He like looks at her. I was like, oh man, you should have just shot him. Points a gun at her. She shoots him in the shoulder. Sends him like flying back. But again, he's got a vest on. So he's on the ground. He's like, look, he's out. And she starts walking up to him, like pointing a gun. But he still has a gun in his hand. So it's like, oh no, don't do it. He sits up, he, he points, but then she shoots him again, center mass. And he like rolls, he's like, oh. He gets on his knees, he's like crawling. She's like, next one's in the head, old man. Burton comes out, kicks Bob's guns away. Then it cuts to, Sheriff's there, Tommy's there. Bob's sitting in the back seat. Um, he's just like glaring at Flynn as Burton's talking to, the, to Tommy. 
and he kind of like smirks a little bit. Then Tommy comes up to her. She's like, is this what you do with suspects? Ain't it? Break them up. Talk to them one-on-one. Get the story straight. He's like, you do this with witnesses too. And she's like, well, what about victims? So he like holds a future gun up in the bag. He's like, you have any idea what this is? She's like, I don't know. She's like, kind of almost looks like something from the future. And he like chuckles. He's like, yeah, I guess. So Tommy says, he's like, the guy hasn't said a peep. He has no ID or registration. He's wearing a vest. Seems like he was ready for a fight. Kind of like, oh, Burton seems to be driving around all geared up like he's still off in Texas. Flynn's like, if he wanted him dead, he would have done it instead of calling you, Tommy. And she says, she's like, we're not doing anything wrong. And he's, he, then he starts, you know, he's like, you know what my first memory of you was? She's like, he's like, I was in third grade and you were in first. You were at the principal's office in a rage. She's like, so she had taken all the earthworms, dumped them out in the woods because you know, there's no way she's going to let the fifth graders dissect them, whatever. He's talking about this little girl about that. And he's talking about as he get older with like an onion and different layers. He's like, you know, he still wants to protect that little girl that's underneath all his layers. He's like, but I need your help. And she's looking, she's like, I'm sorry, Tommy. Billy Ann drives him home, so she walks over there. And, and you can tell he's a little hurt, but you know, what can he do? Flynn's in a pasture seat, and she's like, talk to me, Flynn. And she's like, well, there's a thousand ways that could have gone wrong. And Burton's like, well, just don't dwell in the past. He's like, whatever. And she's like, he was posted on that bridge. He knew we were coming that way. And he's like, well, let's just focus on getting you home saved, and we can talk about it. Billy Ann kind of looks in the rearview mirror, and she's like, no need to censor yourself around me. She's like, I know more than you think. It's like trips to the future, men coming in the night to attack you, you sending Corbell bags of cash. And Burton's like, well, then I guess you can see how maybe there's a conflict of interest at play here. She's like, we're both concerned with Flynn's well-being. And he's like, it's not you I'm concerned about. She says that, it's like, if you're insulting Jasper, you're insulting me. And she's like, what just unfolded ought to buy me a little trust and a whole lot of respect. To get to the house, she drops him off. And Burton, you know, she's like, I'm a phone call away. And she's like, thanks. So then Burton's like, I didn't say anything that wasn't true. And Flynn's like, Billy Ann is a friend of mine. And I'd like to think she's a friend of yours too. She's like, like it or not, she's involved in this now, okay? Inside, he's like, oh, it's getting hard to keep this under wraps. And she says, Billy Ann isn't a problem. Well, he says, Tommy and his sheriff's badge ain't a solution. You know, it's like, they should have closed that loop on the bridge. And she's like, yeah, but you didn't. Then, then she's like, wait, where's mama? He pulls out his gun. They call out to her like, Mama, Leon. And then they hear her like talking out back. So they're out there. She's like, oh, no, the bodies. Then they're talking to Mama in the kitchen. She's trying to understand all this. She's like, medicine sent from the future? And Flynn's like, just the formula for it. They send it to Farmer John to print. And she's like, sent? How? And Burton's like, does it matter? She's like, it worked. And you know she's worried about being dependent on others. She's like, did I ever tell you about how my brother lost his? I think it was her brother lost his farm. They're like, yeah, yeah. You know they've heard this, whatever. Because she's talking about you know losing the farm because he was trusting the lenders and everything like that. So she's like, I have to think about that future stuff later. But they're like, you know, we're not dependent. You know, we're not getting any. We're not paying anything. They're giving us, us to us. But she's like, what if I don't take my my medicine? What if you know this whatever? Flynn just walks out, and Burton's like, we need to talk this out. And she's like, I'm tired of just being a sitting duck. And he's like, we don't know if the headset is safe. And she's like, well, how safe is it just sitting around waiting for someone to come and, and get us? So then Wolf is like in this room. He's staring out the window. The Flynn peripherals just sitting on a couch. And then he gets an alert. The Pults have hacked the peripheral. And, you know, because Flynn's like, she's like, should I cut the connection? And he's like, no. So he looks at her. He's like, this is a pleasant surprise. And she's like, no, Wolf. A surprise is when someone tries to kill you out of the blue, which is what just happened to me. 
She's like, it was a whole new person. He's like, he had one of those sonic punch things like the guy from the research institute had. And I realized I'm just surely getting a twang here. He starts to cut her off, but she's like, you were supposed to know if, if somebody else was coming to kill us. And, and not even that, you didn't even know what happened after the fact. So, so much for your living in the future wisdom BS, huh? He's like, what happened? And she's like, it's a mess. She's like, the sheriff department is involved. There's gonna be a lot of complications. And he's like, is everyone okay? Which is nice that he asked. And she pauses. And then she says, that, she's like, I need to ask you something. It's like the other day when we went walking and you linked up with me, it's like, did you have another motive? He's like, I'm not sure I'm, I'm following. She's like, were you trying to confuse me or my emotions with the haptic drift stuff? And he's like, haptic drift? He's like, I don't know what that means. That's what Burton called it. She asked if he merged with her so she would start to have feelings for him that he hadn't necessarily earned yet. And he, he's like, I'm sorry, but, and she's like, it's like, you know, I'm starting to trust you. Is that a mistake? He's like, no, no. So then Tommy's driving with Bob in the back. Bob's still like smirking. He's like, how old are you, son? 28 or so? He's like, I don't read you as ex-military for some reason. You probably never left this town. Lived a nice, quiet life here, I imagine. He's like, well, that's over now, the, the quiet part. He's talking about like, he's like, oh, would you be in fate? He's like, you know, fork in the road. He's like, you're at that fork right now. He's like, you can take me to station, book me, run my DNA, whatever, put me in the system. He's like, and you set a clock ticking. He's like, on me for certain, but on you too, because the people who will be coming for me, well, they're not the sort to leave loose ends untied. And me talking to you like this, well, he's like, I'm afraid that makes you a loose end. And he kind of laughs. He's like, look at your face. He's like, I can see the curiosity in your eyes. He's like, you know, why would I come and try to kill these folks? And he says, like, someone said that they'd kill his daughter if he didn't. They also paid him $2.5 million, first installment of an eventual 10 if the job gets done right. And then Tommy's like, who? Bob's like, it was the voice on the phone. It doesn't matter. He's like, what does is a $2.5 million. He's like, it's yours if you want it. He's like, what do you say, deputy? I say, and then I'll t- you see the car driving, boom. Something hits a car. It's like oh, it's big. They flip sideways, like flip several times, and then like on the side of the road, there's like an invisible car, and it just like materializes. Someone gets out. We don't see who it is, which is kind of frustrating. Tommy's like inside, like you know, all bloody and kind of like pinned or whatever. You see, like just feet walk up. He tries to see who it is. He can't. They go in the back. They drag Bob out. Tommy like struggles. He gets off the side, whatever. He struggles to get to his feet. But he looks up, he, he hears a car drive away. He kind of sees some tracks like off the, the, the grass on the side, but he doesn't see anything. So they, they took Bob, they left. So at least they didn't take him out. So maybe they're assuming, but Bob might say, oh, I told him everything. So hopefully he doesn't. Will says, uh, he's like, you know, he's with Flint somewhere. He's like, oh, this may, may have been a mistake bringing you here. And she says that she wants Sharice to know what it feels like to be hunted. And he, he doesn't say anything. And then he, she's like, what, you don't think I can handle her? He's like, oh no, I have no doubt that you can. It's the after that's difficult. It's, you know, you being the assailant yourself. And she's like, how would you know? And she's like, you're always off in the corner watching. Then Wolf's like, did I ever tell you how I met Lev? And she like shakes her head. He's like, when I was 12 years old, my parents sent me to boarding school. We were still crawling out of the jackpot at that point. And there were some people who didn't like the way the power in the new world was coalescing. They saw it as corrupt. And she's like, you mean a neoprims? He's like, they attacked the school. And she's like, why? You were just kids. And Will's like, to send our parents a message. The neoprims had me serve them their food at the refectory. 
And if it was me, I'd be like, what the heck is a refractory? I'm assuming that's a cafeteria. He's like, they failed to notice when I grabbed a steak knife off one of their trays. I slashed their leader's throat, then shot his four companions dead. And she's a little like shocked by this. And she's like, it was self-defense, Wolf. He's like, even self-defense can be cold-blooded. He's like, I didn't think of the weight because I never could have imagined it. He's like, don't go over there unless you realize what you might have to do and you're at peace with it. So she kind of thinks whatever. Then we see her walk into a building. Reception is like, how, how can I help you? And Flynn's like, has my face been scanned? And she's like, of course. Then that's all the assistant I'm going to need. The reception starts going out. It's like, oh, if you don't have an appointment, you know, but then a door chimes. Out comes Sharice. Flynn like walks up to her and Sharice tries playing mind games. She's like, hmm, I, I just assumed you'd be taller. It's like, just shut up. And she's like, I can only spare a minute. So perhaps we should get right down to business. How can I be of help? And Flynn's like, you mean besides not killing me and my family? Sharice is like, well, exactly, because that's rather non-negotiable. Flynn asks, she's like, what the fudge did I ever do to you? And she's like, sticky fingers, dear. You absconded with some rather vital data. And she's like, just return it, and all shall be forgotten. And Flynn's like, I didn't take poop from you. She's like, I played my game and died, got sent home, end game. So then Sharice's like, so Alita West still has it? She's like, I don't know who the fudge has it. And quite frankly, I don't give a poop. I just need you to leave me and my family alone. Sharice is like, you're either lying or expendable in your ignorance. Either way, your death continues to be my only viable goal. Now, what makes you think and I won't kill you? Sharice laughs. She's like, right here? I mean, I'm not that careless, dear. Now, I'm in a peripheral of my own. Then she's like, ah, that doesn't mean I can't deal you an awful lot of pain. Though I do imagine you'd pop right out of that thing first side of trouble. And why would you say that? Now, you see, we got people like you from where I'm from. Folks with power, money, love to walk all over the rest of us. Not the kind to suffer through anything close to a real fight. Sharice like scoffs. I've lived through more extremity than you could possibly imagine. It would crush your tiny little mind. So please don't care to lecture me about pain. Oh, I don't want to lecture you. I just want to snap your fudging neck. And Sharice laughs. And then she, she like grabs Flynn's neck. Like both this weird grip. Like, and she's just like squeezing. Do you feel it? The darkness closing in. Let it be preparation for when I kill you. And it's real. Then Flynn strikes Sharice. Like flips her over. Sharice punches. Flynn kicks her out of her legs. Sharice like round cocks, round, round roundhouse kicks her. And then uh, the Flynn gets her. Somehow she gets her pin pinned down. She's like, I got a foothold in your world now. So next time I'll be coming for you instead. And then she snaps Sharice's neck and then she walks out and it's like, oh boy. So Sharice is not going to be happy about that. I'm sure she's going to send like 10 assassins now instead of just, well, she did try that before. So man, there's a lot of craziness going on. And I just have to say like with, with the book, I, I'm finding I'm I, I'm finding the show more exciting than the book. It's weird because even in the book, the whole the first when when Flynn first went into the the peripheral, she was like in this like kind of like helicopter like watching this building, and she was supposed to be like fighting off like paparazzi like the other drones or something like flying around this building because they're supposed to be that's where I think Alito's supposed to be. So it's like th- that whole scene didn't even happen in the book it's just it's been a little different i mean it's it's still good but there's i don't know some differences but i'm not that far into the book compared to the show which is kind of good because i don't want to pass where the show is although if it's so it's it's similar but it's it seems like the show is taking some liberties and fleshing things out a little differently and almost almost in a better way so we'll, we'll see but I, i'm i'm still really digging the show 
So hopefully you're watching it. Okay, with Chucky, season two, episode seven, going to the chapel. So Jake is in a confessional, and it's, it's kind of like almost like black and whitish with just like little hints of color, you know, like one thing is colored. He's asked if he ever made a confession before, and he's like, no. So Father Bryce is listening to it. He tells, you know, he says, tells Jake just to be honest. Then Jake's like, it's all, all his fault, all of it. You know, his dad, Devin's mom, Gary, and Nadine. And Bryce is like, murder? He's like, it's the most serious sin. And Jake's like, well, I didn't mean to hurt anyone. And, you know, but Jake's like, oh, it just, it, I guess it doesn't matter. Then it cuts to back to the three come down the stairs from after Nadine, you know, was tossed out the window by good Chucky. Mixter points a gun at them. And then Father, it's weird because Father Bryce, Sister Catherine, and Andy are just standing off to the side. So I guess three people can't stop like an old lady with a little pistol. Then Lexi's like, Nadine? And Mixer's like, oh, she's quite dead, I assure you. And she tells Jake to hand over Chucky. And Good Chuck goes, Good Chucky's like, hey, I didn't mean to do it. And Jake you know, like shoves him against the wall. And Mixer's like, hand him over. And then <laughs> she, Good Chucky's like crying. And she's like, stop that, that crying, whatever. And she's like, you're supposed to be killing without remorse. She tells Jake, you know, sorry, good guy dolls are hard to come by. And this is the last one. And she's going to need it for Chucky Prime. Then Kyle walks in with a gun. I think we should talk about that. So, But then it's weird because Andy doesn't seem surprised or happy to see her. He's just like, what'd you do to your hair? And then she's like, what'd you do to yours? You look like freaking Jesus. Because his hair is like all long. He's got a beard because he's tied up for a year by Chucky, the Colonel Chucky. So they want to make a deal. Mixer's like, fine. But when it's all set, is said and done, I'm leaving with Charlie whatever Chucky Prime then Kyle's like not Nika's body the mixer's like agreed it's like we've seen how messy it can be when he tries occupying a human body so she's like plastic is more resilient and a good Chucky's like but this is my body and she's like not for long and Jake's like no effing way and Kyle's like it's not that easy he's like Nika Pierce is downstairs and she's like it's good to see you guys by the way so she's like, you know, Nika's a prisoner in her own body. You know, she's Chucky's hostage. You know, it's like if he had a gun to her head. And Mixer's like, oh, we're, you know, it's just how they're going to have to send good Chucky to hell. And Father's Bryce's like, are you talking about an exorcism? And I don't know if he was, like, excited to do it or concerned or whatever. But she's like, you are going to be about to become uncharacteristically useful because, you know, he's going to have to do the exorcism. Then we see Tiffany in uh, Jennifer Tilly's body. She's at a diner and she's on the news this lady like behind her you know she's got like her, her head in a scarf her hair in a scarf and she's got like glasses this lady behind her recognizes her wants a picture because she thinks she's jennifer tilly and tiffany's like oh no she's like i'm not her she's like i get that all the time and then the guy at the counter is like like wait you're that murderer and then you know he turns up the volume and she's she, she's like no no that's not me and she yells out like oh that's a terrible photo they've used because it wouldn't so she just basically gave it away then he's like Oh, can I get a pic? So it's like he 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 asks her if she's that murderer, and he wants to get a picture with her instead of like, "Hey, don't kill me." So then she like throws down some money. She runs out, whatever. She gets a car. She tells Glenn that they have to find a motel, and Glenn's like, "I thought we we're getting Glenda." And she's like, "Can you stop thinking about yourself for one minute?" And then she's like, "Jennifer Tilly's wanted for murder." She's like, "I can't go on the lam again." She's like, "I can't spend the rest of my." my life in prison. She's like, I have to transfer you know, my soul again, but I can only transfer it to a bell doll. So she tells actual Jennifer and a Tiffany doll that they're gonna have to switch. Then real Jennifer and Tiffany's body in the doll body says, she's like, what? I get to be Jennifer now that I'm on the lamb or you're on the lamb. 
And then Tiffany's like, sorry, Jennifer, I don't make the rule. Besides, you've already been behind bars for many years now. It's like prison will be a walk in a park since she had her like locked up in that big giant birdcage. Nadine's body is taken away. Lexi's like, it's like, oh, I should have protected her. And Devin's like, was like, we're going to get him. And Chucky's going to pay for this. And Jake's like, together, we can do this. And she's, Lexi's like, together? She's like, don't make me laugh. We don't do anything together anymore except fail to catch Chucky. And she's like, do we even have anything besides Chucky in common? She's like, do you guys even like each other anymore? She's like, I'm done. I'm done with all of it. And Devin's like, okay, we'll, we'll leave you alone. So she's alone in a room, and then she takes the pills out that good Chucky gave her. And I don't couldn't tell if she took them. I think she took some. Because then later we see him, they're still out. But it's like, did she not take it? She's think I'm pretty sure she took it. Good Chucky is tied up in the library. Nika's there along with Glenda, Andy, and the others. Then they they take their guns, like uh, Mixter's gun and Kyle's gun. They lock in a drawer. Sister Catherine asks, um, "Is this going to work?" And he's like, "Well, it should. You know, exorcism expelled unclean spirit, banishes them to hell." So he says, "You know, everyone's going to have to do a confession first. So then Kyle goes up to Andy, like shoves him. It's like, that's for ditching me at the gas station. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, I thought I was doing the right thing. And you know, he's like, you know, he talks about how he went through hell and everything. She hugs him. And she's like, if you do it again, I'll kill you myself. Then Nika rolls up to Andy and she introduces herself. She's like, oh, I don't think we've ever met. He's like, well, actually we have, but you were Chucky at the time. Then, you know, he's he says how they're like this what do you call him? Like Chucky survivor group or something. Cause you know, he mentions how Chucky threw his babysitter out the window when he was eight years old. Uh, and she's like, yeah, I was stabbed and, and he stabbed me in the womb or something like that. Then Andy's like, you know, this is going to work and, and you'll be free of him. Nika's like, we won't be free of him until he's dead. And if this, this works, there's no way I'm letting him walk out with Dr. Mixter. And Andy's like, okay, first things first. Jake tries talking to Devin you know, he's like, oh, I don't know what to say. He's like, I'm sorry. And Devin's like, we'll talk later, you know, if, if this works. And he's like, you know, right now we just have to get through this. And Jake's like, well, you know, about what Lexi said about us not having anything in common, Devin's like, we'll, we'll talk later. So it's like, why is he, you know, putting it off? Because obviously there, there's a problem. Good Chucky tells Jake, she's like, I'm sorry. He's like, I love Nadine too. And he's like, sorry, that's all you got to say. So Jake gets close to him and Chucky like headbutts him. He's like, not sorry. ha. <laughs> It's like cackles. Glenda stops Jake from doing anything in retaliation. Then good Chucky's like, Jake, I'm all right now. And Jake's like, no, I see you now. And Andy wants him. He's like, we should probably move Chucky someplace else. Alexi's on her bed. And she, I, she must be tripping you know, she, from the pills. And she starts tearing stuff down off the wall. And then there's like a ghost of Nadine. She's like, no, not the frolicking kittens. They were my favorite. So she has like this crown, this like fancy dress up with like this light up cape. It's like almost like wings. She's supposed to be like an angel, I guess. Then Lexi's like, don't look at me that way. And, you know, because she feels guilty. Nadine like talks to her and, and, you know, she says how she cares. You know, Jake, Devin, her family cares. You know, she'll get through this because she's, you know, she she was like judging her when she saw the pills. That's what Lexi's like. Don't, don't look at me like that. So she's like, you know, you'll get through this. And Lexi's like, you know, I'm sorry I couldn't save you. Nadine's like, don't be, you know, it's like I just got something like my ticket to the big amusement park earlier than, you know, I thought or something like that. Lexi says, she's like, I can't tell anyone about my problem. They, they would totally judge me. Nadine's like, you already did. You told me. She's like, you're strong. He's like, I know you can do it. 
Chucky gets locked in his cabinet. He somehow they they have like this Hannibal Lecter mask on him. I don't know where they would have gotten it from. Andy um, does his confession, you know, so there's finally a chance that he can be rid of Chucky. It terrifies him because then he doesn't know what he would be without him. Bryce then is in his office. He's calling the Pope. And then, you know, what the call ends, he tells Sister Catherine that he's been excommunicated. So I guess they they probably figure he's crazy. So she's like, they can't. She's like, we need another plan. And he's like, well, you're absolutely right. He's like, and he put, pops on a book. He has an exorcism for dummies book. And he says that he may no longer be an ordained priest, but he still has a duty to, to his faith and to those children. He's like, to hell with the Vatican. He's like, we're going rogue. Then Lexi wakes up. Sister Ruth is standing there with the pills. She's like, these are very dangerous. You know that. And Lexi's like, yeah. She's like, you're absolutely right. And Ruth's like, you could kill yourself with them. Lexi's like, right, you're right. She's like, you can have them. I'm done. And Sister Ruth's like, oh, not quite. So I'm trying to think, wait, what happened after? Um, Glenda, she's like peeking at Chucky and then he's like, Hey, why don't you come closer? He's like, how's my favorite kiddo? Like, you ready to get your old man out of here? And Glenda's like, I have some questions. And then he's like, Oh, you can ask me later. And Glenda's like, no, it's like, she's like, I ask and you answer. He's like, what I really want to know is why. And he's like, well, the truth is you got a raw deal. He's like, I can explain everything, but first I need you to get my old Bowie knife. And, and Glenn is like, no, no. He's like, you're exactly like mom. You're self-absorbed. You're psychotic. He's like, you were never there for us and you still aren't. And, you know, Glenn and I are, are just orphans. So then Glenda does confession, thinks that they're more lost now than ever, asks if, if Bryce can do something, if he can say a prayer for them and their twin, then... Uh, he asks anything else, and Glenn Glenda's like, "Well, I sort of killed someone," which I still need to watch. Uh, Seed of Chucky and, and Bride of Chucky. So now Chucky's tied to a table. Jake, please, I'm afraid. And then he asks Jake, "He's like, will I go to heaven?" He's like, "No." Then he says, "But I was baptized. Can I at least go to purgatory?" And Jake says, "He's like, I I don't know." So Father Bryce comes out with the holy water in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He starts like, you know, splashing some water. It's like burning. Power of Christ compels you. He's like, power of Christ compels you. And then mean Chucky inside. He's like, you think I'm scared of going to hell? I'm from Jersey. From Jersey. (laughs) Uh, So Tiffany's, Jennifer Tilly's car, it wouldn't start. So she's getting it looked at by a mechanic. And she says that she can't wait to be a doll again. No more wrinkles. But in the back seat, Jennifer and Tiffany body, she's like working. She's like tugging at the ropes, trying to free her hands. And I can't tell if, who's there, Glenn? If Glenn is seeing this and just like not saying anything. And then uh, she manages to get out of the ropes, opens the, the, the door in the back seat, runs out of the car. Tiffany in Jennifer Telly's body runs after her. The doll gets hit by a truck. <laughs> and like guts and blood splatter everywhere. So technically, Jennifer Tilly is dead now, and Tiffany's stuck in Jennifer Tilly's body. The exorcism continues. Chucky's trying to taunt him. He talks about Devin's mom being busy in hell, like doing stuff. Uh, he's trying to really get Devin mad. Talks about the, the memories in this room. Uh, and then Chucky throws up on, on Father Bryce. And he asks Jake, he's like, how did it feel when he killed Nadine or Gary? Father Bryce continues. Chucky's like, WTF is this? And he stops moving. They move closer, and then he bites 
Father Bryce's bottom lip. And then Chucky Prime is set free and Nika is like, hey, you're having an exorcism without me? And Chucky's like, hey, me, long time no see. So then Kyle approaches Nika and Chucky Prime's like, oh, I'll be good. But then she punches Nika. She's like, did you have to punch me? Then um, she says, that Nika's like, cover my eyes, whatever. So he uh, asks Glenda, you know, what kind of kid sends her dad to, Chucky says, what kind of kid send, sends her kid to hell? And Glenda's like, an abandoned one. He's like, you're all going to die. And then the rope snapped as Ark tied him down. He starts floating up. And the power of Christ compels you, Father Bryce, is commanding the evil spirits to be gone. But Chucky's still floating, and they're kind of confused. And then, plop, laughing. <laughs> He's like, Father, are you okay? And then, holy fudge, look at me. I'm like six feet tall. So somehow, Chucky went into Father Bryce. So Father Bryce is trying to, to fight it. He's like, Chucky, you can go to hell. And he's like, you first, Father. And then somehow he makes himself explode. I don't even know. How how do you make yourself explode? And the sequence, it's just like like from all angles and everything, blood splattering, and except for on Mixter because she like hid. I guess she knew somebody was coming. I don't know. And then Nika yells like, what, ha- what happened? What, did it work? I can't see anything. Even though she got like a big, big bunch of blood in her face and like her mouth. It's just so gross. So we see more confession from before. Bryce is confessing to Sister Catherine. He's like, oh, this is kind of unorthodox, whatever. And he's talking about how he always judges people so har- harshly, you know, and he was hard on himself. He says he always knew he was different, and but he always wanted to be a priest. He's like, so when you have all that conflict within you, you're going to be at odds with everyone. And then he's like, oh, I'm sorry. So does this mean he was gay and he was at, you know, at con- that's the conflict that he had? And But he wanted to be a priest and he's not supposed to if he's gay, right? Is that the, the silly rules? So, because like Sister Catherine, she's like actually like, like feels bad for him and, you know, just sheds a tear for him. So he's like, you know, I'm sorry, whatever. He's like, you know, what's my penance? And she's like, nothing. She's like, you've punished yourself more than enough. So the, the big chunk of, Father Bryce's head on the floor gets covered, and Jake looks at good Chucky's body, and he's, like, tearing up. Then he's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. And Devin's like, you're a good person. He's like, you always see the good in everyone. And then Mixter interrupts, like, can't we get on with it? And he's like, and don't forget, we have a deal. And Nika, like, touches the dial and starts saying, like, the, the chant words. So then we see Nika's confession. She hates the dial that controlled her life. She hates herself for failing to stop them. Uh, she's lived with the poison inside her for every day, and, and now it's time to get it out. So she starts chanting in French. There's lightning going on. She starts convulsing. Chucky starts moving, and he's like, hey and then Jake grabs a doll, shoves his face in the holy water basin thing. It's like smoking and sizzling, and then Sister Ruth walks in, her habit's down, and she has a gun pointed at Lexi's head. Where the heck she got a gun? I don't know. But she's talking about the Lord teaching, whatever, taking sins away, whatever. And Mixer's like, you took you long enough. So I guess they were working together. Maybe she gave her a gun. Then Sister Ruth says she'll spare Lexi for their Lord and Savior and Dr. Mixer. So Dr. Mixer takes Chucky, walks out. Ruth tells the others to stop and makes Lexi kneel. And she tells the Lord that, She's his instrument of something, blah, 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 something, whatever. Then Glenda throws a knife. It goes right through Ruth's eye. 
And she pulls it out like the eyeball is stuck on the end, which wouldn't it like deflate or whatever. And she kind of like looks at it and then she falls over. And then Lexi hugs Jake and Devin. The others run after Mixter and Chucky. Andy like shoots and blows out like Chucky's jaw. Uh, Mixter drops him and she like runs out. Chucky gets up and then Andy shoots Chucky over and over. I was like, how many guns are in this, this, or how many bullets are in his gun? And he finally like falls like forward. He's like gasping and everything like that. And they just like watch him die. Glenda is sitting in a pew. She sees uh, CLR, Charlie Ray, carved in there. And she looks at the blade that she threw. It has like the same. So she used his knife, his his blade. The Chucky dolls get, gets burned in a fireplace. Lexi, Devin, and Jake put their arms around each other. Andy and Kyle are watching them. And now that they have what Chucky stole from them, they know they got their childhood back. Kyle's like, now all I have to worry about is acne, gym class, and heartache. Kyle says that now that they're back from the dead, what should they do with their lives? And you know, and Andy's like, I don't know. He's like, I haven't thought about my future since first grade. She's like, well, you have the rest of your life to figure it out. Then there's like flashback to Child's Play 2, like when they're walking out of the good guy factory, the little Andy and, and Kyle. Nika tells Glenda she wasn't sure what side she was in on, on, until the end. So she's out there. Somehow she's smoking a joint. Pretty sure it was a joint. Where, where she got a joint from, I don't know. Glenda says that, that they're on her own side, on Glenn's side too. So Then Glenda asks Nika what she's going to do now. She's like, I don't know, watch a movie that doesn't star Jennifer Tilly. She asks Glenda like how they're feeling, and Glenda's like, like an orphan. Then a car pulls up. Tiffany's frazzled. Glenn and Glenda hug each other. Then Nika stares at Tiffany, and Tiffany's like, oh, hello. And Glenda says, dad's dead. And Nika pulls out a gun from somewhere. I don't know where she got this gun. She's like, now mom's dead too. And she's like, Nika, please, like my kids, don't kill me. I'm sorry. And then Glenn runs, no, blocks the bullet. And Nika screams, no. So Glenn's still alive, but shot. So they put Glenn in the back of the car and they drive away. Then we see Mixter, Dr. Mixter's drive away. She's like, when this is all done, I'm going to unleash Chucky in the world all over again. And then she's thinking back to her confession where she asked if he believed in life eternal. And you know she knows he preached it. He closes the confession window because he just doesn't want to talk to her anymore. But then in the car, she starts cackling. So Chucky is in Dr. Mixter. And next week, I think next week is the season finale. So that was a uh, it's just kind of crazy. I mean, a lot lot going on there. So one more episode. We'll see what what happens after that. With Stargirl, season three, episode eleven, Frenemies, chapter eleven, the haunting. So it goes back to a year ago where Stargirl's fighting Icicle, and then you know they defeat the Icicle. You know, Mike drives through him, shatters him, hugs after the fight. There's still ice and water on the road. The ice melts and forms together, kind of like T-1000. It's just like, well, it just goes together, and the liquid goes on a storm drain. Then it's at Blue Valley, Nebraska today. Rip City, the doors are locked. A couple of bros are, are <laughs> they go walk up there. The doors are locked. They're like, oh, but it's leg day. <laughs> they can't work out because the gym's locked. Because they're, Crusher's dead, which is, I still can't believe that. Down below the city, the room's with the monitor, Icicle takes off his glove and it's like ice and not fully formed and he like screams or whatever then it turns human so it's like is he a vampire now did he i don't know does he have to concentrate to be human did he have to kill crusher and paula to be human i don't know 
at the house. Uh, they're all t- talking about ultra humanite, and you know, did he kill a gambler? And Courtney says that you know now the, the Crocs are on her side. She thinks she can get Cindy on board, and Yolanda's is like, why? And Courtney's like, well, she's already been on the hunt for him, and she might have some leads. Pat and Sylvester's talk about how Sylvester. You know, they're, they're like bickering because Pat's talking. Sylvester always has to get the last word in. Like when Pat makes a joke, then Sylvester has to say something too, like on top of his joke. And Courtney's like, they need to get to the mock Kent's on their side. And, you know, they need Cameron. And Mike doesn't like that because he's like, well, what if they realize that I ran over their son? And she's like, that won't happen because they think I killed him. Why would they think that? She's like, it's not important. Then there's a loud knock on the door. And so they're like, okay, be careful. It's Artemis. She's like, have you seen my parents? So then we see Jordan. He's standing across the street from his house, and he's still, like, weak. He walks up there. He rings the bell. His mom answers. He's like, mother? Jordan? And she's like, I don't understand. And she hugs him. And then dad comes out. His dad comes out. Then Cameron's like, dad? He's Cameron. I'm home. Inside, Jordan's, like, looking at the snow globes or whatever. He talks about how he brought them back. They were like each like a trophy. He was collecting them after Cameron's mother died. And he's like, one's missing. Then Cameron's like, where have you been? And he says that when he was hit, he lost not only his form, but his self-awareness. He had like no consciousness. It's just like dreams of, of Cameron, of his mother, of their family. The camera's like, you know, why didn't you heal here? And he says that he was trying to protect them. He says that, you know, his grandparents explained, right? You know, they were hunted for generations. That history would put Cameron in danger. And he knows, you know, how hard it is to keep secrets from those who are close. So he knows that he told Courtney and, you know, all this happened. And he like motions to like how the room is trashed. Cameron's like, Courtney told me that she was the one who killed you. And grandma says that she failed. And he's like, no, it wasn't her. It was her brother. Cameron's like, well, why would you say that? And she's like, to protect him? He's like, but that's all in the past now. He's like, I've forgiven him, all of them. They thought what they were doing was right. After what happened, you know, my powers are stronger than before. Cameron says that Courtney said that he killed people, and you know, but he says his goal is always to help people. He's like, you know that, you know me. And Cameron's like, well, I thought I did. He's like, son, my son, almost losing my life, losing you, and listening to Courtney Whitmore made me look back over my past. Courtney's group, we all want the same thing. We just never agreed on how to achieve them. So it's like, maybe now we can. And Grandpa's like, do you, you want peace? He's like, yes, Father, I want peace. And he hugs Cameron. Beth calls the other. She thinks she found a signal from Sportsmaster's Mask. It's coming from underneath Blue Valley, and she found an access point. Artemis, Yolanda, Beth, and Courtney go down. They're like, where's Rick? He has returned to calls. Artemis rushes to where the signal is. Beth says that the room's too small for like a giant gorilla, but then they, they see the remains. And Beth like, detects that there's organic water level detected or something like that. And she tells Courtney that these are human remains. And Artemis picks up what's left of Sportsmaster's mask. She starts crying, and then she screams. At the garage, Pat uh, was working on Stripe. Courtney calls him with the news. Mike, he's like there too. He's like, what is it? You know, Barb gets a call at work. And then a co-worker's like, Barbara, you're not going to believe it. He's back. He's back. Then she sees Jordan. And he's like, hello, Barbara. And everyone claps. Barbara walks out of that main room. And he like follows her, which is like weird. When people wonder, like, why are you talking to her and not like everyone else that you've worked with for like years? So he's like, it's good to see you. And she whispers, like, I saw you die. He's like, I know. 
He's like, it may seem that my powers have gone beyond creating ice. So he's like, he wants his life back. You know, people want to believe that he's back. He says he lost a year's life away from his son, his parents, his work, but he can get it all back. But now he can put the past behind him. He can start over because he's a changed man. She's like, you're pure evil and you'll never change. Jordan says that her daughter taught him, him that it was, it was possible that she believes in people. She, he wants to start by helping the JSA hunt, take down an ultra humanite. And she's like, how do you know about that? He's like, well, I've been watching Blue Valley for some time. He's like, that creature followed Sylvester Pemberton here. He's the ultra humanite hates the ISA just as much as the JSA. She says, ultra humanite didn't freeze Crusher and Paula. It was him. And he's like, I didn't want to. He's like, they came in so fast, it just happened. He's like, it was terrible. He's like, but it ends there. He, so when she's willing to accept his help against the ultra humanite, let him know. Sylvester in his costume with the staff, he's at the farm. He goes into the barn. Like Courtney's calling him, says that they found a Crocs and what's left of them, but ice goes back. So he's already gone public. Sylvester just gets angry and he like almost, it's almost like a red hot beam shoots out of the staff at the barn and it's just like up in flames. At the house, he says to Pat that he's taken out icicle first, the first chance he gets. And Pat tries calming him down. He's like, but he gets in his face. You know, he's you know, like, oh, how could you let this happen? Or whatever. And Pat's like, they th thought he was dead. You should have made sure you checked the work. And then he says, you know, the plan is, he's like, I'm taking Icicle out myself, whether anyone approves of it or not. So it's like, geez. It's like some hero, yeah, you want to just kill a murderer. I mean, whatever. Even you take him to justice, you know, just murder them. Murder a murderer. I don't know. Cameron knocks on the door and, you know, uh, Courtney answers. She's like, what are you doing here? He says, well, I thought you heard my dad's back. And he's like, it's a miracle. He's like, everything's changed. She's like, nothing has. She's like, Artemis' parents are dead. I know he feels awful. It was self-defense. He thought they were attacking him, uh, you know, because he, he was wearing a mask, a suit to help him heal. They didn't know who he was. And she's like, well, he still needs to be held, held accountable. And he's like, well, where's accountability for, for the Crocs or Cindy? He's like, why do they get a second chance? But my dad doesn't. And she can't really answer that. Then he says that his dad wants them to live in peace. Is that what she wants? And she's like, did he send you here? He's like, no. So he steps close to her and takes her hand. He's like, whatever happened before us, between us, he's like, we can be different now. Let's just start over. He's like, please, think about it. And he kisses her. Jakeem and Mike are hanging out at Jakeem's. Uh, Jakeem says that he's going to wish that school didn't have powers. Uh, so he has like this, you know, it's all written out. He says blah, 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 stuff like that. And then Thunder's like, hey, I'm sorry. He's like, I can't do that. It would kill him because the powers are the only thing keeping him alive. And Jakeem asks Mike, he's like, what did you do to him? And he's like, I didn't do anything, whatever. And Mike's like, maybe we just need to keep thinking. And Cindy pops in. She's like, well, you're going to need help with that. And so they're like startled. And she's like, the doors were unlocked. And so she's like, you might want to do something about that. So she decided with everything that they're, that's going on, it was a lot to handle alone. So she's like, so let's team up. And they're, they're like all excited and everything like that. And then Jakeem whispers like, she's sitting on my bed. And she's like, ill. Courtney's like walking at night in the streets. I don't know why, where she's going. She sees, sees Jordan. I don't know if he's staring at his mural of himself. He's like, okay, you're not too egotistical. And she's like, your son is talented. He, he, Jordan's like, he takes after his mother. And he's like, hello, Courtney. She says that whatever he's doing or planning, that they're going to stop him. And he says that he knows that 
she and and Cameron have been seeing each other, and she's like, "Of course you do, because you're spying on on us." Jordan's like, "If you're important to Cameron, you're important to me." So he wants them to be allies. Thinks that they could be a great team. He's like, "Revenge was the first thing that overtook him when he gained sentience, but he sees that vengeance has no purpose." So she helped him see that. She's you know changed countless lives. She talks about him killing the Crocs and the other stuff that he's done, but he doesn't want her to forget just to forgive and then she and cameron can start over and then he's like you know thanks for hearing me out jordan's staring at the snow globes artemis is in a room she's crying and like pacing she throws his like weight against the wall like you know just lodges in there more screaming more crying then barbara walks in she's like you, you come back over she's like you can't be alone here and then artemis just kind of like crumples into barb's arms it was very sad and i don't even like artemis so much but it was sad Yolanda's like pacing and then she's in Courtney's room and she calls her mom and she answers, but she doesn't speak. And her mom's like, Yolanda, is that you? And then she finally says that she only lied to protect her. And she's like, I love you very much. And she hangs up. Sylvester's on the porch. Pat says, he's like, well, Courtney will be here any minute. And Sylvester's like, she has to agree to this. And Courtney is like, she has to. Pat's like, she doesn't have to do anything. And then she walks up. She's like, what am I supposed to do? Sylvester's like, I want to go after Icicle. And she's like, well, Jordan wants to work together. He's like, we all know that's a lie. And she's like, well, what if it isn't? And he's like, how, don't, how can you be so naive? He's like, how can you believe that? He's like, Jordan is, is using us, using all of us to save himself from an ultra humanite. And he's like, after all the support I've given you, he's like, I'm asking you, let me take the staff to face the man who killed me, who killed me and my friends and my family. And she doesn't say anything. She just like looks at Pat. It's like, well, you know, what is she supposed to say? Cameron's uh, looking for his dad in the study. And, but Jordan is out in the woods. He's walking. And you hear like growling. Ultra humanite comes up. And Jordan's like, it's time. So I guess Jordan can't be trusted. He doesn't want to take out ultra humanite. He's working with them. I, I don't know what he's up to. So um, now the bummer is I believe there's only one more episode. And it's not on next week. It's on November 30th. So it's taking a week off because it's not on this week because of Thanksgiving. So we'll see how it all ends. With Star Wars Andor, Season 1, Episode 11, Daughters of Ferrix, which is like a weird episode title because that wasn't like the the main focus of the episode. So we see Andor, he's climbing this cliffside, his like bloody feet. There's this other dude that's, that's with him. And he's like, I can't feel my hands. And Andor's like, like they're leaving. He's like, we you have to you know, keep going or whatever. On Ferex, it looks like Marva died. So uh, Andor's like adoptive mom, she's dead because she's like been sick. Some people are talking about like what to do. And they're like, well, what about the droid? And B2 EMOs, like he starts shaking. This, uh, I forget the dude's name. He, I think he was like a friend or whatever. And then he, he talks to, to B2. He's like, he's like, you know, we're going to bring her out in a little bit if you want to say goodbye. And then he's like, you'll, I'll, I'll, you know, have them clear the room if you want to be alone. And B2's like, I don't want to be alone. I want Marva. So then he said that he wants to go with them. He's like, oh, no, that the daughters of Ferrix require your assistance. And, you know, he's like, it'd be really important. And then he's just like whimpering whatever she's taken out. And then he's carted, she's carted away. Cinta's nearby. She's like working at this little like cafe, whatever, something like that. So she sees that Marva's dead. 
Oh, so did the dude with Andor that escaped? It's like, where's everyone else? <laughs> His name is, I think, Melshi. So they they spot a couple aliens like over the ridge. They crawl around to get this other view, and you know they figured the aliens didn't walk there, and then they see this a quad jumper, and Andor's like, he's like, oh, I'm not sure I can pilot it. He's like, it's an old one. Melshi starts like running towards the ship. Andor's like, what? What if there's someone in there? And Melshi, he's like, I. We gotta get off the planet. The aliens see them. They're just like sitting there, and they're just like staring at them, like calmly, like not even doing anything. And then these two nets shoot out of these like devices, and they're like captured. And the aliens laugh at them. They're kind of like sticky nets or something like that. Dedra gets a report that Marva's dead. You know, they just moved the body, and they're watching with full surveillance. So the dude says that um, they want to have a big send off since she was a prominent resident. And she says that they, the Empire, want a funeral, that they're going to give them the permit, you know, keep it small, limit the time, limit the numbers. But she wants uh, to put them in a box, stand back and watch. So she's like, let them, because you have to have a permit to do whatever, all this stuff now. That way they, you know, they can keep an eye on who's coming and who's going. So they, they're, she's like, how much time do we have? And he's like, well, the Ferrex customers do it within two days. The dead are bricked. They mix your ashes with mortar and local stone dust, and they put your name on it. They fire it up, and you become a block of Ferrex, you know, like a, a brick. Then they, they find you a wall. The aliens recognize that they're prison escapers. If they figure they can get a reward. They're like, oh, a thousand each, a thousand for you, a thousand for me. Like one alien speaking basic, the other one doesn't. So the other complains that they've spoiled their water. You know, the prison has spoiled the water. The other's like, well, you know, the offer is alive or dead. Uh, but then they free them because it turns out that they don't like the empire. And he's like, you know, they better get going. You know, he's like, well, where do you want to be? And Andor's like, uh, Niamos. And then they, they take off in the ship. So I think Niamos was that like beach planet where he was staying, I'm assuming. Kayla is working in the back of the shop and then Vel shows up. She's like outside. So Kayla's like, okay, she lets her in. She says her, you know, she's like, my cousin shops here. And Kayla immediately knows that she's talking about Senator Mothma. And Vel's like, are we alone? And Kayla just asks, would you like to get something for your cousin? It's like, we have a few new pieces that just came in. Vel's like, where is he? You know, she's like, I don't have time for this. You know, when, when Kayla mentions that the sinisters, the center has been interested in these jewels lately, whatever. Kayla's like, we have rules for this and you don't seem to understand that. Vel's like, I sent up a flag. And Kayla's like, and we would have seen it tomorrow. Kayla's like, it's like tomorrow. And cause she's like the, the Fondor is gone, whatever, you know, check the back on the way in or whatever. Then she's like, you know, everything you're doing now is wrong. And Vel's like, you know, she's like, tomorrow's too late. She's like, where is he? And Kayla's like, you're off the rails. You're lucky he's not here. Vel like scoffs. And she's like, I gave him Aldani. And she's like, what have you done lately? Kayla like walks over to this other area and Vel follows her. And Kayla's like, I don't have lately. I have always. I have a constant blur of plates spinning and knives on the floor and needy panicked faces at the window of which you are but one of many. Then she's like, what information? And there's a long pause. You know, Vel doesn't want to say anything. And then Kayla's like, I'll make sure he knows where it came from. So Vel finally is like, Cassian Andor, the mother died. She's like, I'm leaving in the morning. Cinta says it's very busy there. And Kayla's like, I'll be sure to let him know. And she's like, do you do that? On Ferex, a dude talking to B2 is being watched by this other dude. 
and also Cinta. So I said, wait, I'm not sure who this guy was. I, I, maybe we've seen him before and I'm just I'm forgetting. I don't know. So the dude tells B2, it's, it's time to go. Um, they're going to his place. B2's like, but I'm charging. You know, so he wants to stay. He's like, she's not coming back. So he wants to stay in the house. But the dude's like, he's like, she's not. You know, she's on her way. And B2's like, well, you could stay here. And the guy's like, all right, one night. And then B2 like rolls right out of his charging dock. He's obviously happy. Then we see Bix is standing with her head against a wall. She's thinking of Dr. Gorse torture. This dude, um, Kasax, comes in asking if she'd care to join him. So they walk. She can barely walk down the hall. He's like having to like help her. She's like really haggard and everything. The dude's like, I'm going to ask you a question. If I don't like the answer, I'll have to call back Dr. Gorst. So she's shown a holo of Anto Krieger. He's like, have a good look. Is this the man you introduced to Cassian Andor? She stares at the holo and she like sobs a little. Mon is watching the other room. Her daughter, Lita, is, and her friends are reciting some chant, whatever. Vel comes in and is like, is that still happening? And she's like, I never did that. Mon's like, well, I did. And Mon's like, you know, trends come back. It's you know, actually stronger here than back home. Then she's like, Lita's found the elder. And Vel's like, please tell me you're not taking proposals. Mon says that she's very much in trouble. And then she tells her, you know, last year she was pulling 100,000 credits every month from the family trust without a trace. And Vel's like, for Luthen? And she's like, I had no idea it was that much. Mon says that it was so easy. Last month, she was contacted by a banker from back home, and she was warned that Imperial inspectors might be taking a closer look at her accounts. And, you know, she did what she could to pull off the excess into, like, different accounts, but there was one empty ledger at the end of the line that was, like, off balance. It was so obscure that she just didn't know what else to do. So she told Luthen that she needed help from the outside, and Vel's like, take Colma. But then Altani happened, and now everything's frozen. She thought Tay could help her replace the credits. All he did was tell her how much more trouble she was in. And Vel's like, how much is missing? And it's like 400000 So they're going to be looking into it soon. Vel's like, does Luthen know? And she's like, some, but not really. You know, he warned her, but, you know, who knows what he knows? Vel's like, this can't be exposed. And Mon's like, I know that. She's like, I found a solution. And Leda comes into the room. Vel goes like, you know, up to, to greet her. And Mon's eyes are, are tearing up. So it looks like maybe Vel's thinking that she has to betroth her daughter to a gangster's son just so she can get this situated. Karn's mom wakes him up during the night saying there's a call for him. It's Sergeant Moss, the guy he worked with. So he's calling about Andor. His mother passed away. The call's like really bad and choppy. So he, he said his mother passed away. He might show up at the funeral. And then, like, the call, like, cuts out, and Karn gets frustrated. Andor is back on the beach planet. He goes back to the place he was staying. He opens a box. There's, like, credits and a gun and stuff like that. There's someone sleeping in the bed. I, I don't think it was the woman he was with before. It almost, I think it was an alien. So then he just, like, takes the case and, like, sneaks out. Luthen goes to see Saw Guerrero again. And Saw's like, I'm in. He's like, Spellhouse Power Station. He's like, tell Krieger I'm in. Tell him that I'll bring air power, but we'll take tactical orders from no one. Luthen's like, you, you've taken a long time getting back to me. He's like, it's, it's too late. They're going tomorrow. So I was like, we'll be ready. He's like, make it happen. Luthen's like, eh, I think not. 
and saw S. He's like, why? He's like, you were so eager for it. Luthen says that the ISB is Krieger's plan. They'll be waiting for him. And so I was like, how did you know this? And Luthen, he's like, won't, he says he won't tell him that. And so I was like, Krieger doesn't know. And he's like, how do you know I won't tell him? Luthen's like, I don't. He's like, I don't know what you'll do. It's far from ideal for either of us. You're willing to burn him? It's 30 men plus Krieger, which means you're either ISB or you have someone inside that you are protecting. Luthen says that, or he's just a very good listener. Saw says, you think it's worth losing Krieger? And Luthen's like, I did. I'm not so sure now. And Saw's like, what if it was me instead of Krieger? What would you do? Luthen says that Krieger doesn't know him. And, you know, he's, so he's not vulnerable if he's captured. He tells Saw it's his choice. He's like, do they let Krieger get captured and continue the long game? Or do they warn him and throw away a source that's taken years to cultivate? Saw's like, you have people everywhere? And Luthen says that he's like, you're avoiding the question. And then Saw's like, you have people everywhere. He's like, maybe you have one with me. He's like, who is it? Who is it? And Luthen's like, it's tubes. So there's this alien there. He's like, he's my man. He tells me everything. And she was like, he's like talking. He's like, he's lying before they can get into it. Luthen grabs a gun and points it at saw. And Saw's like, there's no way out of this. You, you know, you must see that. Luthen says that he's only doing this. So he'll listen. Krieger goes down and the ISB feels invincible. They'll feel untouchable. They'll have a clear field to play. The alternative is they pull out now and they'll trust nothing like Saw is doing right now. So if he was ISB, why wouldn't he just send Saw out there with him? And he puts like the gun down. He says that he didn't want Saw to have to make this choice. And there's a pause and Saw's like, for the great good. Luthen's like, call it what you want. And Saw's like, let's call it war. So Karn's waiting for his mom to leave. He goes to his safe, takes out credits maybe or something. Luthen calls Clea from the ship she asks if he was able to close a deal and he says that he was it was more expensive than he had hoped she says that he sh- should come home now um he's talking about needing like a a, a certain piece of something or whatever another piece of the plan or puzzle they can't lose it and then the call gets garbled luthan's ship is hailed by an imperial patrol asks him to identify himself tells the computer to get him like a fake id or whatever so it scrambles through to get one and he's like, get me an Alderanian, Alderan one, whatever, Alderanian, Alderan. They put him in a tractor beam. He calibrates the thrusters, whatever. He hits the thrusters. He's fighting the tractor beam. Countermeasures are armed. He shoots like a bunch of like little missiles. And it hits this big dish on the ship. And then TIE fighters are sent out. Tractor be- beacon is now down. He starts flying. He takes out a TIE bomber. This other TIE fighter, he gets takes that one out. There's two left ship folds his wings and these like lasers like kind of stick out and like slices it to like kind of spins slices the ties as they fly by cassian calls to get a message to marvel says that he'll be back as soon as he can um this guy jan recognizes his voice and he's like he's like no don't say my name and he's like i'm sorry your mom is dead and then Cassian like process all this. Then he talks to the other prisoner. He's like, you know, what if they're the only ones? You know, they have to split up. So people have to know what's going on. And then they, so by splitting up, they can double their chances. But he's probably also saying that he doesn't want to split up. He, he wants to go back to Ferex to go to his mom's funeral, which is uh, not going to be a good idea because 
with everyone, so many, everyone's like going to be watching. So it was like, how is he going to be able to do this? We'll see. But it was like, uh, it's just, it's just such a weird show because it's not like regular Star Wars. It's just so slow, you know, the slow burn, but it's, it's good. With Titans season four, episode four, super, super Mart. So it starts off in 1996. We see some lady named May. She's working. She says like hi to her coworkers. And she seems to have some magical abilities, but no one like really sees. And then uh, she has this horrible boss. He's like yelling at her. And uh, he's like, you need to do this report. She's like, "Uh, that's your job. He's like, oh, now you know what my job is. She's like, and I just did those other reports, whatever for you. And then she's like, she like kind of motions her nose because he has like cocaine residue on her. And he's like, I have like dry skin or whatever. He's like, you shouldn't, you know, bring something up like that, whatever. And he's like, just yells at her and, he goes into his office. He's like yelling and everything like that. About you know, she, she's talking about saying this stuff and doesn't you know about trying to tell him what his job is or something like that. And she's just like kind of like talking to her, saying some stuff. And then he like jumps out the window. So did she make him do that? After work, she goes to a bar, and this dude's sitting there next to her, asks if she's okay. She's like, "Oh, I just lost my job." And he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry." And she's like, "Yeah, it's my fourth job in a year." So, dude, um, when he, he's talking to her, he's listed as a messenger in the closed captioning. So he, um, then she's like, what do you do? He like hands her a card. All it says is the organization on it. I don't know, like a plain white card. He says that it's human development. They identify people's special aptitudes and then cultivate them. Before that, he was with the UN. And she's like, oh, what if someone's special, what if someone's aptitudes were a little unpredictable? He's like, well, sometimes the brightest lights come from the darkest places. So she's skeptical. She's like, oh, let me guess. And I have to pay a sign-up fee and bring three friends. He's like, no, no. He's like, you know, you don't need to bring anyone or anything. He's like, turn the card over. Written are three words, Azrath, Metrian, Zintos. He tells her, he's like, say them. And she's like, then what? He's like, then you're done. So she does, and then the bartender's like, oh, I just found this, you know, something for this drink that she wanted. And then she like, turns around, and the dude's got Dick and Corey are talking about Sebastian. You know, he's just like sitting there, like out by the RV in the woods. He's just sitting by a fire, but they're like off a ways. Dick mentions that the records say he never did anything violent before. You know, his mother dies. He gets set up for murder. She, she he says like, oh, it has like a familiar ring. And Corey's like, yeah, it's like when we all, you know, first met. So then she tells him about the song that she heard, you know, when she got turned to stone and ended up at the Elko Diner. It was an old Tamaranian song about a red moon. When the red moon comes, my true light begins. It felt like a warning. Dick's like, eh, or maybe it was just a song from a jukebox in your dream. And she's like, no. It's like, it wasn't just a song. It was my song. In the RV, Gar asks if, if anyone asked Sebastian what those weird symbols in the video games were for. And Rachel's like, oh, we're going to, but right now it's, we're just talking ramen. And then Jinx comes in and asks him about something else. And she goes to Connor. She's like, son of Superman, right? He's like, oh, sort of, yeah. She's like, can you fly? He's like, no. And she's like, hmm, that's a shame. What about the magic phobia? He's like, the what? The magic phobia. He's like, because uh, she's like, Superman kind of has a brown thumb when it comes to magic. It flusters him. And Connor's like, that's not true. Tim's like, uh, actually, it is. He's like, oh, I've never met, met the man, but that's what I read. Rachel brings some rom. I mean, so basically, I just love Jinx. I, I really like that character. You know, it's only the second episode, but just her personality and just the way the actress delivers a line and everything is. I just 
she's, she seems like to lighten things up or whatever. Rachel takes some ramen out to Sebastian. So he's, he's still sent by the fire. He asks, why did they do that at the police station? And she's like, you needed help. And he's like, did I? And she's like, yeah, trust me, you did. He said the moon is red because of the hydrocarbons. And she says it, it's giving her bad dreams. Sebastian's like, me too. He's like, I can barely sleep. Then Rachel asks, you know, what did the woman at the police station say? You know, she said that she's known him since before he was born and that she would help him if he, only he'd let her. And she's like, let her? And Sebastian's like, she wanted me to say these words uh, that made me feel, he's like, I don't know, like something strange. And Rachel's like, can you tell me just one? He's like, Azeroth. And she's like, Metreon? And then he's like, Zin, and she's like, no. And she puts her hand like over his mouth. Rachel talks to Dick and Corey about the lady, Sebastian, asking Sebastian to join the organization and wanting him to say the words. And Corey's like, but there's no one left at the asylum. It's like, they're all gone. And she's like, but what if they're not? Dick says that, you know, he's like, you dealt with Trigon and he's done. But she's like, but, but what if they're back? And Corey's like, no one survived the fire at the asylum. And she's like, you know, they couldn't have. Dick's like, well, are you sure of that? 1997, two ladies are working like this. There's this greenhouse, it's like strawberries. And they're like, oh, it's so good or whatever. And this dude's like, they're trigonic. So he's like, he wants to meet both of you. It's like, one of you could be the one to get the power of love, of his love. Then when Dick's driving to the asylum in the RV, Tim asks, he's like, can someone fill me in? And they're like, the asylum was run by a cult. And Rachel's like, my dad's cult. And Jinx, like, surprised. She's like, your dad had a cult? Corey's like, he's the reason that she came to Earth to, to kill him. Rachel's like, well, actually to kill me. And Tim's like, you tried to kill Rachel? Corey's like, hey, it's like, I thought we sorted all this out. Rachel's like, we did. I'm just, just filling him in on the facts. Connor says, that, you know, it's too bad Superman's in another galaxy. Jinx's like, uh, he, he's probably there to steer clear of the magic. Connor like, gets defensive. He's like, he's saving a planet from an unstable red dwarf. And Jinx's like, yeah, the old red dwarf ate my planet excuse. And Tim's like, who's Rachel's dad? And Gar's like, Trigon. And Sebastian's like, who's Trigon? Rachel says that he's a demon of inter and extra dimensional origin. Corey says that at birth, he killed his own mother. Before his first birthday, he ruled an entire planet. At the age of six, he destroyed an entire planet. Dick says, and then he tried to take our planet. Rachel's like, annihilate. And then Jinx's like, hey, can I drive this thing? It's <laughs> like, nothing to do with anything. And Corey's like, what did we ever do without her? So it's like, she's not even taking it seriously. Um, they arrive outside a super, super mart. And so I guess this is where the asylum was. And Dick's like, it's strange because the, the store never came up on my GPS. It's just blank, like a black hole. And Rachel's like, but there's something here. And Gar like, laughs. He's like, yeah, power tools, fresh groceries, even a hunting section. They see, uh, like, that's a ridiculous amount of ravens, like, flying around, like, circling. And then they, they follow around the back. And there's this door, like, weird-looking door in the back. And it's not really weird, but Connor uses seat vision to open the door. There's stairs that go down. They're being watched by Mother Mayhem. So there's like a camera somewhere. And there's a leather lady, Gina, who I guess was in the flashback scenes. It was the two of them. Gina's like, he's like, you're playing with fire, letting him go down there. And Mother Mayhem's like, Sebastian must learn the story. 
Uh, so Mother Mayhem says, like, she tells her hounds of hell, it's time. Several dudes, like, grab helmets and axes and all this, like, powered to, like, gardening sharp things from the store. Then it cuts back to 1997. One month later, several women join hand around this large hole in the ground. And the, the messenger dude, he's like, for the honor or for the hope of his impossible love, you must prove your conviction. Let him catch you. So they're, they're also blindfolded. Me and Gina drop back, and then it cuts. Then later, they're like starting to climb up on this ladder, this metal ladder on the side of the wall. Gina's like, I can't do it. And May's like trying to encourage her. Gina's like, I, I really want to be his queen. And then she's like, But there can only be one. So she like elbows May and she falls back down the hole. So then this lady's like decorating this fancy cake with flowers. They tell Gina that he'll be there soon. Then May walks in. And May looks at her and is like, you look beautiful. Gina like kind of gasps and she's like, she's like, uh, I'm sorry. And May's like, you are not your best self. And then that, that dude comes in, the messenger, he has like a, this goblet, this cup of something on a tray. He's like, congratulations. You are both faithful, courageous, and strong. But you, he says to, to May, you had heart. For, and then he like hands her a drink. This is from him. So she takes the drink. She um, like drinks it. Uh, must be blood in there because uh, she, she drops it. She says, "He's here." The Titans have gone down a bunch of stairs. They're like, you know, nothing really looks familiar. Corey says that the fire, you know, must or never made it down there because you know, nothing's burnt. So it's it's like they had it sealed off. Dick suggests that they split up, and it's like, really, is that really a good idea? But there's this uh, section with some cells. Sebastian says, he's like, this was her room. He's like, the lady from the police station. Corey's like, how do you know? And he holds up, he found this picture. It's a picture of her and Gina. So Rachel looks at it. He's like, oh, it's her when, when she's young. And he, she, he says that he doesn't know her, uh, but he knows the other lady. He's like, her name is Gina. She's his neighbor from across the hall. So Dick's like, oh, the organization has been monitoring you. And Sebastian's like, what do they want from me? And Dick's like, well, they could be looking for something, you know, a blood type or genetic marker. Corey finds this like book they call like a creepy fairy tale book. And Rachel says that that could just, she's like, that could be me in the picture. And Trigon, you know, it's like the child. Um, On this other page, Corey's like, that could be me. And then there's like a page with a bunch of dead warriors. And she's like, that could be all of us. Dick's like, or maybe it's just a fairy tale. Then he says uh, the fire probably broke down security, and Corey's like, he's like, we let her out, so she was like, Mother Mayhem was locked up down there, but because they set that fire, what caused it to happen, Mother Mayhem got loose. Elsewhere, Jinx tells Connor that she could help him with his magic phobia. He's like, I don't have one. She says how magic works. It's really just a contest of will. Connor's like, well, I have plenty of will, and Jinx like, well. You can't decide if your will is good or bad. Then Connor's like, Superman doesn't have a will problem. He's like, he knows he's good. And she's like, uh, yeah, I'm just not so sure. You know, Maybe he has so much power, he must wonder if he's good or just a bully. Then Tim says that they found something. So there's like a bunch of tapes. 1998, Gina and May are talking. Um, so the Titans are listening to her tapes of them talking. Then this, uh, there's a tape of May going into labor. And the doctor's like, it's a boy. He's like, sorry, May. So he's like, the prophecy is well known. So the chosen one must be a girl. Dick tells Rachel that she was uh, the one that they were waiting for in the prophecy. May is chained in that room with the baby. 
they uh, take this muzzle off of her. Then she's like, you don't need to worry. He's my strength. The dude's like, you know, your love just wasn't enough to, you know, make the profit. And she's like, my son is the prophet. The two tells her to renounce this blasphemy and then she can go back and live with the others. She's like, she says that he will ascend under the blood moon to join his father. Then there's this big snake like headed towards him. And she keeps saying Sebastian's name. And in the present, he says that name. So Rachel's asked that if he has a, a mark and she shows like the one on, on her, the back of her shoulder, he like pulls a shirt, he does. Corey says that he's the one from the children's book who makes the hole in the sky. So part of their prophecy, you know, so like dealt with them. Sebastian's like, no, no, no. He's like, I don't know anything about holes or any prophecy. He's like, I'm not anyone. Rachel says, but they want him to be someone. And Sebastian yells, he's like, we just have to stop this. But he's like, y'all saw the book. And Rachel's like, you're right. He's like, we have to kill Trigon. And Dick's like, we should take the tape and, and get out of here. 2019, the asylum's on fire. Gina frees May. In the present, the Titans get attacked. The zombie Deathstroke, it's like, where the heck did he come from? I almost forgot, like, did we see Deathstroke before? I totally don't even remember. Connor's like standing like blocking, he's like shooting at them, he's blocking the bullets. And then Dick's like, okay. And Connor punches his head off, like literally punches zombie Deathstroke's head off. Dick's like, let's, let's get out of here. So they like duck around. But then zombie Deathstroke's body just turns around, is like still standing, turns around, walks over to his head, picks it up. Somehow is able to see it because the eyes are facing the other way. Puts it back on his body. And Mother Mayhem's like watching. So I don't know if she's like watching through zombie Deathstroke because she's, she's definitely controlling him. So he goes back up to Connor. He dodges his punch and then stabs him in the gut with the blade. He like twists it too. Connor's like in pain, shoves Deathstroke like back across the room. Gar and Tim, Tim help Connor walk out of there, like out of the line of fire. Dick's like, they're, they're, you know, we're splitting into groups so we can get Sebastian out of here. And he like throws some smoke bombs and then Dick starts fighting him, but eventually he gets knocked down too. Deathstroke somehow has Sebastian now and he's about to drive away in his van. And then Sebastian says, but it's like not in his voice. I didn't know zombies could drive. So it's actually Jinx. She used her magic to take his form. And then before Destro can shoot her, she freezes him. She like stops him and she stabs him in the eye with this pin that she had in her hair. And then Mother Mayhem, I think she like felt some of it because she's like kind of cringes back. She's like not happy. She like relinquishes control or whatever of, of Deathstroke. And then uh, Jinx gets out of the van and Dick pulls up like in a Porsche to, to get her. Uh, and then he's like, oh, you took his gun? And she's like, yeah, and I'm definitely going to sell it. At Star Lab, they're walking. Bernard asked him, he's like, oh, did you get my text? It's like, are you serious? Rolling my eyes. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess I've been busy. And Bernard's like, oh, yeah, superhero stuff. Then um, to the others, he says that Sebastian will be safe there because, you know, Superman and Constantine both tried to break in there and they couldn't. Then Connor heads to the bathroom, you know, as they're walking. He throws up like a bunch of blood in the toilet. Then he like kind of jumps back because there's like this big serpent in the toilet. So then we see this big, like, secure room, whether it's like a prison cell or something like that. So Sebastian is shown his accommodations. Um, the others are going to go go off for a few hours. They're going to go, I don't know what they're going to look for. But then Rachel decides to stay with Sebastian to, to help keep him company, and because they have a lot to talk about. And then he's like, he appreciates that. Gar asks Connor, you know, he's, he's out of the bathroom. He's like, are you all right? And he's like, right as rain. So at first I'm like, 
this is so dumb. It's like, okay, Connor, you're obviously going through something. You need to tell someone. Don't keep it in. It's not a good idea. But then or, you know, maybe he's just possessed. Because as the door is closing, he kind of looks at Sebastian and Rachel. And and then he like turns and walks. So I don't know if he's somehow possessed by Mother Mayhem. And so now she knows where Sebastian is. So they're trying to keep him safe. But it kind of didn't fully work. So that was the episode. So... Uh, it was interesting. It was it was good, but yeah, I I just I mean I so my, I tell you right now my problem is this mother mayhem. I I don't really care for her. I never like the villains, but it's okay so far. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I and maybe it's because of Jinx. Okay, and now the movie feature is the menu. So this I I'm, I kind of tempted I. I one, I was like, I should watch the trailer again to see, because I don't remember like how it's built. Looking at, uh, it's, uh, Wikipedia says it's a black comedy horror, which I wouldn't know if I'd, I'd call it that, because uh, Buddy asked, is like, is it is it a, a thriller or a horror movie? I'm like, I don't know if I'd say it's either, or if I could say it's neither, because it's, it's not. I don't know. It's weird. So it's uh, directed by Mark Milloyd. Milloyd. Um, he's a British television and film director, executive producer. He's known for his work with a television series Succession and Shameless. Okay. Um, he co-produced Entourage. Okay. So, yeah, I, I, I guess he's done quite a bit. I just wasn't really familiar with him. The movie stars Ralph Fiennes, Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, uh, Judith Light is in it. Uh, John Leguizamo. So there, there's a bunch of people in here. And I have to say, man, the acting in this was like top notch. I mean, they were just so, I'm like so like immersed in with this. Because like Nicholas Holt, his character is just like just spot on. And Anya Taylor-Joy, she's just so amazing. I feel like she's like a chameleon because she just, she just gets into these roles. And she just, she becomes that person. And in like Ralph Fiennes, you know, he's just, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself now, but he's just, just really into it. So what, what's the movie about? So the, the short, I think description says, uh, it focuses on a young couple who visits an exclusive destination restaurant on a remote Island where the acclaimed chef has prepared a lavish tasting menu along with some shocking surprise so basically it starts off with um so i'm not going to do full spoilers I, you know because I, I don't do that the movies but we see nicholas holt and anya taylor joy they're like on the docks you know waiting to go on this this boat and it's supposed to be like this super you know ex- expensive and I, I forget how much if, if it was like I have like twelve fifty a plate, but there's twelve guests. I don't know if that's right, but it's super crazy expensive. They they notice that there's like some some famous people and, and stuff like that. Like John Leguizamo was supposed to be like some actor and, and that, and uh, Judith Light's like a food critic. And so they they go there, they go on this island, and it's you know they they get like shown around and everything. But like Nicholas Holt, he's like super into. He's like he's like a food nerd. Like he knows like all this stuff, and he's super into it. It, it's the way he kind of treats uh, Anya Taylor Joy is weird because they're together, and and you know he, he, uh, the way he talks to her is like it's it's weird. She wasn't originally supposed to go because like one day they get to the island, this uh, lady, the, I guess she's like the host uh, hostess, 
and you know she's greeting them knows all them and then she's like when margo goes up she's like and who are you and she's like and but then it was weird because i shouldn't say anything but then it's like uh, nicholas holt kind of like pauses or something like that and because she's like margo and you know she doesn't even give her last name or whatever because she's like you're not supposed to be here because uh, you know originally a uh, Nicholas Holt was going with someone else he had a you know different guest that he was bringing but apparently it was his girlfriend they broke up so then he he's bringing Anya Taylor-Joy but they seems like they're like really into each other or anything like that so it's like kind of weird like is it at first is it they they broke up I think we find out they broke up later but that first is like was it I, I don't know what's going on but we see like some of the, the place and everything like that and then um the, the food starts coming out and Ralph Fiennes, so he's he's just very, like, super, like, serious. Like, it's like, oh, everything must be precise. You know, it's just super strict. And, you know, there's every time there's, like, a course comes out, he does this big clap and, like, it's almost startling and all that. But what's neat, and, and this is a type of food that it's, uh, you know, all about the presentation. It has to be, like, perfect presentation. It's almost like, where do you even begin to eat? And what the heck am I eating with this microbe and, you know, this this gastric whatever, fusion, this, and I don't even know. But, you know, everything is, like, locally farmed and, you know, captured, you know, scallops from the sea and all this stuff. So when, when I think I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but, like, when the courses come out, it's, like, first course and it it tells you what it, it gives a description it shows up on the screen what it is and then you know the, the whole presentation because you, you see the the little restaurant part where they're seated you know it's like right by the kitchen so you can see all like the, the sous chefs or whatever you call them they're all there like meticulously you know get real close like making things very precise and pre again presentation all this stuff it's just you're very like there's see i don't i don't want to say too much but there's just like things start getting weird because there's like one course there's no bread. It's like the breadless course. You know, you're supposed to have bread for the sauces, but it's supposed to be the idea is that when you're using the bread, you don't really fully get the sauce. And so it's just, and they're like, wait, this is crazy. He's like, we came for the sauce or we, the, they're supposed to be like, we're known for the bread and everything like that, but they don't get the bread. And, and then things, um, so it's a, what did I say? Black comedy or something like that? Cause things kind of get a little dark or whatever. And it's just all about the, the seriousness of this. And you know there, there's something up with with Margot, and you know there, or there's this other couple. It's like, wait, what what's happening? And and this is where it just starts getting even more intriguing because they're like, what is going on? Who are all these people? And because you know, like uh, the food critic, you know, she had been there before, and or there's this other couple that they've been there several times, and and just like the stuff that like Ralph Fiennes talks about when he talks about like his his the memory, like his father and. It's just it gets really weird, and uh, the ending. Uh, it's just like it's kind of. Like, I, I don't know if I'd say it's a powerful ending, but it's just like holy crap. When you look at this, it's just like what is this movie about? And I really don't want to say anything. I feel like I'm, I'm saying way too much, or not even made, made way too much. But I really don't want to say anything more. So it's just it's just such a well made movie, and. Like, like I said, just the acting is spot on. Because like Nicholas Holt, you know, he's just like so into it. Like, like oh, talking about the food. He's like, oh my gosh, I can't taste this. And, and like reaching over, you know, trying to, because you know, when uh, Margot doesn't, Anya Taylor-Joy doesn't eat her or something or whatever like that. And and then like Ralph Fiennes gets, he's like, why don't you eat this? But also the other thing is weird is like the, the, all the there's this, when they first get there, 
Nicholas Holt like goes up to like close to the, the kitchen. He's like talking about stuff like that. And the one guy's like working, one of the sous chefs, and like he knew who he was. And he's like, You know who I am? You know my name? He's like, well, You know all our guests' name, which I guess you know, there's only 12. But it's just, what the heck is going on? And it was just like so weird. And uh, I, I don't know if I'd say weird, but it, it was just a really good movie. So I'm really glad I saw this. But man, I gotta say, like, you know, just. The, the acting was just amazing. They're, they're, the characters, they're, they just all really dove into and became these characters. It just, it didn't really, because, you know, every once in a while, sometimes I watch a movie and, you, and I, I distract myself. Or I'm like, okay, how did they shoot this scene? You know, they're sitting around, you know, they got must have the lights somewhere and there's a script. They have to read it. But it's like, I just didn't even think that. And, you know, you just, you're just, I just got immersed in the story and the stuff these people are going through and, you know, the meals and just, man. So that's all I can say is, you know, it's, it's at a 90% of Rotten Tomato. It's, it's definitely worth watching. Doesn't even need to be seen on a big screen. I, it, it's not like a spectacle movie, but I think it should be seen. I, I think. I, I am a believer that movies should be seen in theaters. You know, there, there's something about just the big theater, the sound, just that whole environment. I think it does really enhance, it does the movie justice to see it on this big screen. And also, you know, it, it kind of holds the, the the filmmakers, you know, it makes them accountable because if people are going to watch this on a big screen, you need to make sure all the detail and everything is, is precise. There's not going to be any accidental, like Starbucks cups on set because it's you know it's gonna be seen like a gigantic screen, so everything's it's just everything was just so cool about this movie, so you should watch it. That's that's I, that's all I should. I don't think I should say anything more. So really interesting story, great performances, and just just bravo, well well done. And that's that's it. So I I think that's gonna be it for this show. I don't know if it was a little shorter this week, but I, I could use a break. So a big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Um, I'm probably going to do Fantastic Four again. I've been doing Fantastic Four from the 70s, John Burns. And this is like the tail end of this. We're, we're getting to the point where when I first started reading comics. So I'm really, I'm, we're almost there. So I'm super excited for that because it's been years and years since I've, I've read these. So I'm just really excited to get back into them. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll be talking about movie, another movie soon and uh, another opinion off my mind piece, all that fun stuff. So extra podcasts. If, if this isn't enough. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. And that is ko-fi.com slash heck. Okay, so what is going to be next week? I really don't, or next week's episode, I don't know. I haven't figured it out this week. You know, it's Thanksgiving week this week, which, you know, I'm, there's still gonna be a show. Uh, I, I think like star and or, and cause you know, star girl's not on, I think Chucky is still on. So I think we have most of that stuff, but as for the movie feature, I thought glass onion was supposed to be coming out this week. It, it comes out in December on Netflix, but it, you know, a lot of these movies open limitedly in theaters. So I thought it was supposed to open this week, but my theater doesn't have times listed yet. I got to double check. 
There's also Strange World. I think that's what it is. Uh, the Disney animated. I might do that. I, I debate about, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, doing Pinocchio. I, I don't know about that. There's also this, um, what's the dude's name? Lee, not Lee Majors. Um, the Major Tom, not Major Tom. <laughs> the dude from the Loki um, and from the, whatever county, the HBO. Um, what's that dude's, oh man. You know who I'm talking about. Uh, but it's like a I think it's a I haven't even heard of the movie that doesn't mean it's not good it's, maybe it's just you know I'm in my little bubble and I just missed it but I think it's like a, a plane movie like something I don't know I don't know so I might do Strange World because I, I think that could be cool to see on a big screen I don't know we'll see uh, but if I mean it, it, definitely if Glass Onion comes out I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that but other than that um I'm hoping to get caught up and stuff because I'm just, I'm, I'm beat and you know, whatever, boohoo, poor Tony. But, uh, I hope you are doing well. And if you celebrate Thanksgiving, if you're in the United States, uh, I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving this week. I hope you have, you know, some time with, with family, friends, loved ones, or, you know, anything, whatever, take care of yourself, take care of others and do some fun stuff and just try, try to do something nice for someone else. Surprise someone. Do something really fun or cool, but just important thing, just be good to each other.